podcast this week, it is a truth universally acknowledged that we will talk to Operation Mincemeat stars and former Mr. Darcy's Colin Firth and Matthew McFadden without mentioning Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> that would be like talking to Alexander Skarsgård, Star of the Northman, without mentioning Orange Mocha Frappuccino. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, God. All that and more on the movie podcast that laughs in the face of research. <laughs> You mentioned Eric Northman, though, right? His character in Vampire and True, Lo- True Blood, right? You mentioned that, though, right? Hello, Bod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, we're back in the studio. Were we in the studio last week? I can't remember. Everything blends into one. We were. We were. We? we just weren't yesterday. Yeah. Oh, yesterday when we did the Moon Knight Spotter mm-hmm. special, because someone double booked. Isn't that right? Because someone accused me of being the best. <laughs> no one would ever accuse James Dyer of being the best. Some damn fool. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> James, you son of a bitch. Because <laughs> uh, I always like to start a podcast by misquoting Predator. That's, yes. uh, that's very much rare for you. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah, but, but it's, it's hot in here, and this year it grows. This year it grows hot. And I am very much the demon that makes trophies of men. Uh, that's the one yeah. I like to go by online. Yes, you made a trophy of Tide as well, over it, didn't you? I did. Yes, I spoke to Bosch. Which that's is a spoiler for the Pilot TV podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, mm. welcome, James. Uh, it was, was great. One he of said my... many nice things mm-hmm. about this very podcast. Yes, oh. I know. And yet we haven't. We've only had him on this podcast once, Tide yep. as well, over. Yep. And he he loves Empire. He loves. And we yep. love him. And the door is always open, Tide. His face is uh, his warrant. He, yeah, just scan your face at the door. Come in, <laughs> sit down, replace James if you have to. I don't care. And, you know, sit down and start talking. Yeah, I would That's 100% give up my seat for Titus Welliver. All right. As should we all. Yes. Yeah, yes, one sir. day Titus Welliver will be a colleague of such lethal cunning, but James Dyer is one of my colleagues of such lethal cunning. I'm joined by two more this week. Bit of a haphazard intro, but there you go. Yeah. I laugh in the face of research and apparently writing intros. Uh, we're joined by Alex Godfrey. What's up? <laughs> wow, who's here wow. from the 1990s apparently <laughs> Just for the kids Is that because people were listening to Weezer upstairs? And... No, it's because it came into my head literally when you said my name I don't What's What's up? This must stop It's just a good cultural reference for me It's from, just a great cultural reference It's a very topical cultural reference <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very young by the What's way What's the equivalent from 2022? Like, What are the kids saying in the playgrounds of late? <laughs> None of us know No, we don't do it <laughs> No. Is, there, is there a thing? No? Fair enough. Is, is Rosie and Jim still a thing? I don't think so. Are What's the that? flower pot men? Mm. Hey, come on. Don't. Hey, come on. <laughs> the flower pot men? Yeah. Oh, them. What happened from to Bill the, and Ben? From, from, from the like, 50s or yeah. 60s or something. Yeah. What happened to Bill and Ben was a tragedy. And they killed each other in a suicide pact. Yeah, <laughs> they did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. One they swallowed poison. <laughs> anyway. Weed we killer, presumably. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> Killer. Just spread each other weed killer. The flower, uh, anyway, flowerpot killers, I believe. We're also joined by Helen O'Hara. Hello. Geek Queen Helen O'Hara. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good, yes. good. Helen, it was who alerted me to the fact that uh, Colin Firth and Matthew McFadden, mm-hmm. uh, stars of this week's World War II lovely Sunday afternoon movie, Operation Mincemeat, yes. mm-hmm. uh, were both Mr. Darcy at one point. And in my diligent research, I think I realised that, but then forgot, forgot. it. Yeah, yeah. I, well, there's also Mr. Knightley, of course, and Johnny Flynn. Right. And someone pointed out, which I had missed, 
two Mr. Dashwoods, not one, but two Mr. Dashwoods in the cast. Is this from... officially a multiverse film? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think it's the Jane Austen multiverse <laughs> yeah. World War II movie. Finally. She always Pride and Prejudice, of. No Way Home. <laughs> yeah. So we have uh, both Mark Gatiss and um, Tom Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson's not in the film. Isn't he? He's on the cast list. Is Am he? I think of Tom Wilkinson. No, I don't know who you're thinking of. I don't you know should do your research. Hey, this is outrageous. Is. Who outrageous. are you thinking of? I don't know who I'm thinking of. Shall I list people who are in Operation Mincemeat? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> All right, Jason Isaacs. No, he he was not a Mr. Dashwood. Although he's never, as far as I can tell, he's never been in a major. Who is Mr. Dashwood? That's Eleanor and Marianne's father, who dies at the beginning. Of? of Sense and Sensibility. Right, Sense and okay. Sensibility. That was the key piece of information that was missing from that. <laughs> <laughs> it is a truth universally acknowledged that the only thing I know about Jaden Austin is that one of her books starts with it is a truth universally acknowledged. <laughs> yeah. uh, when I when we were forced to read Mansfield Park and at school, I, I had a violent allergic reaction to it. I like the one with zombies in it. That was good. Mm. That no, was very good. No, it wasn't. Yeah. The, the Jane Austen bits of that were good. The, the yeah. zombies were bloody awful. Sense and Sensibility and Werewolves. <laughs> That Very was good. good. Mansfield Park and hyenas. I would just let loose hyenas just tearing Fanny Price apart. That's the name of the heroine. Okay. <laughs> That's that. Again, important information to have. Oh, boy. Anyway, welcome all. Thanks. Welcome. Bit Thanks. of culture. Talking about Jane Austen. Kinda. Yeah. Very good. Uh, shall we have a listener question? Uh, this question is from San Julif. Given the recent discussion regarding giving animation the respect it deserves, which we did in the wake of the Oscars a couple of weeks ago, uh, when Phil Lord and Chris Miller in particular decried the lack of respect given to animation at the... Because uh, <laughs> I think James wrote the script <laughs> for, for the Oscars. <laughs> Not the G.I. Jane 2 joke. That, no. wasn't, that was an ad-lib. No. But everything else, James wrote that. Hmm. Uh, do you think, this is the question, do you think any of the films up for best animated feature at the Oscars should have beaten the best picture winner for that year. Well, Now, this is a question that could take hours to answer if we went through every single year. Yeah. Except Mitchell's versus Machines is objectively better than Coda, so. I think that's actually fair. That is absolutely <laughs> fair. <laughs> but there it, didn't, it didn't win the best animated feature. No, Oscar. but yeah. it should have been. Yeah. And it was, it it is, won that as well. Yeah. It's objectively better than both the film yes. that won yes. best picture and, and the, the film that won enough. best animated yeah. feature. Yes. Mm. Correct. So yeah. this year alone. There you go. Yeah. Boom. There you go. Done. Question answered. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this could be a short podcast. So, so uh, I, have a, I have a suggestion as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Grave of the Fireflies, one of the great animated movies and one of the most upsetting movies I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Now, it came came out in 1988. And as we all know, the 1980s at the Oscars were, generally speaking, an embarrassment. So, yeah. depending on its exact US release date, which I haven't established, I think Grave of the Fireflies is a pretty good shout. Because did, I think did that it win could the have... Oscar? Grave of the Fireflies? Yeah. Well, no, because it wasn't an animated Oscar at that point. Ah, oh. So we could just go through those 20 oh, years of animated Oscars. So Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and things like that. Yeah, we can, Beauty we can and talk the Beast was up for okay. Best Picture. When, when was, so uh, which, which year was this? this uh, so Grave of the Fireflies came out in 1988. Best, best animated category at the Oscars came in, a, I want to say, about 2000. Okay. I think so I was Shrek say, was the first 1988 winner. would have been the year that Predator should have been nominated for Best Picture and wasn't. Okay, so. but it wasn't, though. So <laughs> I'm talking about displacing Driving Miss Daisy, right. which I feel like we can all get behind. No damn fool accused that of being Indeed. the best. <laughs> Imagine if Arnold had, had arm wrestled Jessica Tandy. He would have just snapped her arm right off. That'd yeah, that'd be that'd be terrible. No one would want to see that. Uh, yes, the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature was first awarded in 2002 for films made in 2001. That makes it a little bit easier. <gasps> Although Grave of the Fireflies would have been up against Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, I've well, just realised. Yeah. Damn it! This is complicated. Ah, but would it have been? 
It depends on release date, which I'm not sure about. Ah, but is Who Framed Roger Rabbit considered an animated film? Yes. By no. whom? Uh, well, by this list I'm looking at right now. Mm. No. I see. I, it is I, it was it's a live by... action film with animated bits. Yeah. But by that rationale, The Phantom Menace is also an animated movie. Oh, well, actually, by that, that rationale, Avatar is an animated movie. And that's yeah. a very good claim, actually, to be an animated yeah. movie. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is considered by like animation boards to be a very important film for them yeah. because it was very, very important in bringing Disney back to its kind of golden age levels. Going so it's, up it's here. Oh, it's so good. Oh, I love, Going down here. He's so good. It is. Oh, was that droopy? Sorry, <laughs> I was just. <laughs> just I, was just I was just generally saying stuff. Uh, yes, I love that film, but I, yeah, that's a very interesting discussion. Mm. We shall have another day. Okay, All right. So, so should we just look I, at the twenty years then? I'm, I'm going to try and look at the twenty years. Okay. So let's go to last year. Last okay. year. So Nomadland. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Right. Shitting in a bucket. <laughs> versus <laughs> subtitle. Soul. Shitting in a metaphorical bucket. Yeah, I'd, I'd take No Man Land over Soul. Would you? On account of Soul not being very good. Wow. Oh, I forgot who we're talking to. Wait, wait, wait. But but also, Wolf Walkers was out last year. See, Wolf Walkers, I'd, I'd, I'd stump for. Yeah. Over No Man Land. Maybe, yeah. It's a maybe. Definitely over fucking Soul. Soul, soul was... was average. There, was, there, was a lot of good, average. there was a lot of good stuff in Soul, but um, it fell mm. apart at the seams a bit. I would... I would take Soul over Nomadland. As would somebody you? also yeah. who watched Shaun the Sheep Farmageddon four times take, in one yes. day, it's actually very good. <laughs> it's great. Is that or are you just it's kind of really brainwashed good. by it? I may have been worn down. My little, my small nephew really liked it. So Were you secretly we on your phone for, for some of that? <laughs> I mean, not very much. Okay. All right. Okay. Here's, here's, a, here's a good one. Here's okay. a good one. Uh, so the Oscars in 20, the 92nd Oscars in 2020. Okay. So 2020. Yeah. Uh, the animated films are... How to Train Your Dragon 3, mm-hmm. I Lost My Body, mm-hmm. Klaus, or Claus, Missing Link, and the winner, which was Toy Story 4. Now, are any of those better? I would say even together, those films may not be as good as the Best Picture winner, which was Parasite. Yeah, no, that's not I mean, even... I mean, that's an embarrassing... That's an embarrassing list of animated nominees. Yeah, moving on. Toy Story 4, Toy Story 1? Four. Yeah, like what yeah, Toy Story 4, no. Holy I mean, look, mackerel. Toy Story 3, all three. <laughs> three is fabulous. Four, four no. no. Absolutely not. Give me a break. Holy mackerel. Okay, but the uh, uh, 91st Oscars, now okay. we've got a conversation on our hands. Okay. Yes. Because the winner of the animated picture Oscar oh, there... Oh, you should go the other way around. You should go the other way around I should go the other way around? You should go the other way around with this one. So what with the... The best picture winner. Best picture winner. Best picture winner with this one. Green Book. Green right. Book. Unassailable. Okay. Green, <laughs> unassailable. The, nom- the, nominees, the nominees for best animated film, Ralph Breaks the Internet, mm-hmm. Mirai, Isle of Dogs. I love dogs. Incredibles 2. And the winner... Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Wow. I mean, there's an argument to be made that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is better than every Best Picture winner of the last 10 years. There is also an argument to be made that every film in that category is better than Green Book. Yeah, even Incredibles too. Hey, oh, come on. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. All right. It was fine. So, well, yeah. Who- so that that is one uh, unequivocally, I think that is that is one. Uh so we're, what year are we in now, Helen? I can't keep track. What year is this? Into, we're into the uh so Oscars covering the year of 2017, so presented okay. in 2018. All right. Um, the winner of Best Picture was The Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. The, oh. The best animated nominees were Loving Vincent, which is gorgeous and groundbreaking, Ferdinand, which uh-huh. is charming, The Breadwinner, which is great, The Boss Baby, which is <laughs> a film, and the winner, Coco. Wow. Yeah, Coco, Coco is much better than Fishfucker. Yes. Oh. <laughs> 
I will defend Fishfucker with my <laughs> not dying breath, I'm, but I will defend it. But not that strongly. <laughs> <laughs> Who can forget that film? I, I love Guillermo. How it has lingered in the consciousness. But uh, yeah, that's that's a, uh, yeah, it's I, not that's, my favorite Guillermo. All right, we'll call it a draw. How about that? No, no. Coco's better. Coco's not better. Yes, it is. Have you seen it, Chris? Yes, I have seen it. Just because the... the, Remember me. If the fish fucking man had sung... Remember me. Then it would have been significantly improved, yes. It has a bit where the fish fucking man eats a cat. (laughs) Does your beloved Coco have that? No. No, No, it does not. Does anybody's jaw fall off in The Shape of Water? Also no. no. It does every time I see one of Dan Lauston's amazing visuals. (laughs) Good Wow. So anyway, 2016 films, yeah. right? So the winner of Best Picture mm-hmm. is Moonlight. So we've got an uphill battle on our hands mm-hmm. for the animated films, yeah. which include The Great, The Red Turtle, mm-hmm. The Astonishing My Life as a Zucchini, Moana. Mm. Make way, make way for Moana, which <laughs> yeah. is clearly better. Sure, my, uh, my beloved Kubo and the Two Strings, and the winner, which was Zootopia. Strong year. Yeah, it was very a strong, strong year. year. That's, that's so, a and the winner was Moon, 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 Moon. <laughs> Moonlight. M- moonlight. It was Moonlight. Waking life yeah. and dreams. Moonlight. <laughs> Cheers, thanks. Yeah. That one I'm willing... Well, I'm, I'm not for Zootopia, but for any of the others, I'm willing to call it a draw. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that's quite a good one, actually. Uh, so, best animated feature film in 2017... 16? 16. 16 uh, were the... the uh, was When Marnie Was There, Shaun the Sheep movie, Boy in the World, Anomalisa... Or nom- nom- I can never yeah. pronounce that. Yeah. And Inside Out was the winner. I mean, Inside mm. Out is it, pretty great. The best picture was Spotlight. I might... Oh, come on. Spotlight's great. I love Spotlight's Spotlight. Spotlight's fine. It's very serviceable. But Inside Out is... <laughs> Inside Out is better. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, we can we can go down multiple rabbit holes here because Mad Max Fury Road was up for best picture that year oh, yeah, and should I mean, have yeah, one. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd take Mad Max over Inside Out. The fact that George Miller didn't win Best Director is still one of the greatest travesties. It's, I don't mm-hmm. understand that because every director I think any of us spoke to that, that year was raving about George Miller's work. Yeah, and still film. are. Yeah, so I feel like it was the actors that screwed it as per usual. Not a Western. The 87th <laughs> Academy Awards... <laughs> Can I just say something for a second? <laughs> oh, what have oh, I done? Boy. He's apologised now. Did you see that? I didn't apologise for shit. <laughs> he did. He apologised the other Apart day. Apart from all the things I apologised for. But I want to say to the, the pretty lady who made the film. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, boy. Now he has to apologise again. i got to apologise for that also, but... <laughs> I saw your Western. was wasn't a Western, but I got past that and I apologised for that. But I'm hearing you talking about all these movies which are... We animated and whatnot, and people in cubicles with pencils. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Sam. Thank you very much for coming. But I have to say, can I just say one more thing? Uh, None of these films are westerns, and therefore are deserving of respect. Right. Because I've learned to be a better brand. Oh, boy. Thank you. Thank you. So, the 2014 Oscars. (laughs) Yes. um, Covering uh, the the Best Picture winner was Birdman. Not a western. So, all to play for here. Uh, because it all to play for, to play for <laughs> it's yes. a good game show. <laughs> <laughs> I will take every animated movie made that year. Over Correct. Birdman. Correct. Because yes. the options. I love Birdman. No, I, You're I like, the one, are you? Why do I, like, I like. I like Birdman. Birdman. I like Birdman. But come on, Tedious. okay. Here, here are your options. Not. Tedious. We've got the tra- the tale of the Princess Kaguya, which is gorgeous. Song of the Sea, which mm. is astonishing. 
How Kelpies to Train Your Dragon 2, which is good. second a best sequel. of the trilogy. It's really good. The bo- Box Trolls, which is, you know. Also good. Also good, but weird. Love a Box Troll. And Big Hero 6, which was yes. the winner. Okay, mm. well, no, none of them are better than Birdman. Birdman oh, is an extraordinary film. <laughs> it is. Big Hero 6 has a bit where the man goes blah, 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 blah. It does, but it's not <laughs> worthy of The Big Inflatable Man. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's, you know, Baymax. That's yeah, name. I know. I know I of the character. He's very cute, but he's yeah. not an Oscar winner. <gasps> How dare you? That's a controversial viewpoint. Uh, it's not really. Um, I think we're the ones taking the controversial <laughs> position on Birdman. Uh, so I think we, we've maybe proved the, the theory here, yeah. right? Which is that sometimes there are animated films that aren't even in the running for Best Picture because they've been, you know, set to one side. And by the Academy, give it a short shrift, give it a little category they can play with in your own, but it doesn't really mean as much as this Oscar over here. But sometimes there are, are films that are much, much better. Here's a question. Here's a question. If there players. wasn't a best animated feature category and it was just up for grabs, mm. would they stand more of a chance? Well, historically, no. So there there were only ever, I think... Oh, yeah, because it's only 30 years old or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, it's only 2002 was the first one. 20. Or 2001 was I the first count. one. So Shrek was the first winner. So before that, Beauty and the Beast had been nominated, but that was, mm. I think, the only animated movie ever nominated for Best Picture before the animated category came in. We've obviously mm-hmm. since then That's had one of the Toy Story 3 Because Pixar was oh. one of the reasons why they brought it in, right? Yeah, it was. Because Pixar was making these incredible movies and... Um, there was talk at one point, wasn't there? I think it was talk of one of those movies being nominated for Best Picture, and then it never happened. It might have been Shrek, right. actually, been you know, which isn't which isn't yeah. Pixar, obviously. But but there is a bigger variety of animated films now, a bigger scope, a bigger an eclectic choice to choose from. I just wonder if they weren't shoved into their own category where people think well, we've dealt with you. Yeah, they do. Be happy with that. Well, it's the same with with you know foreign film. It's the same with documentary. Yeah. yeah. There are documentaries that should have been in the Best Picture conversation. Yeah. There mm-hmm. are foreign films that definitely should have been in the Best Picture conversation. But that means, of course, that smaller animated films can get the glory of having a, a nomination yes. which will bring them to more prominence. So like so, Cartoon Saloon sure. getting, yeah. I think, three nominations out of its first four films. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, you know, because they then open it to the wider Oscar voting pool, which are, you know, full of dodos who don't watch all the films, um, that's unfair. I, and, let me and yet quite fair. Quite fair. <laughs> but, you know, there, there are these people who are like, well, you know, you see all these uh, anonymous Oscar voters every year and it's always things like, well, there's no point voting for the small film. So I just went for the Disney or the Pixar or the mm-hmm. DreamWorks. And, you know, maybe I'm just saying maybe they should watch The Red Turtle. Maybe they should watch, mm. you know, Wolf Walkers because they're bloody great. All right, so because this is taking far too long, um, mm-hmm. even though I'm enjoying it, um, let's boil it down to the absolute core of the idea, and let's just pit the winner of animated feature film against the winner of best picture. So, okay. uh, Frozen versus Twelve Years a Slave. Which is better, folks? Which is better? Uh, Twelve, 12 years, years a slave. a slave. Yeah. I thought Frozen was against Gravity. Oh no, it's Gravity didn't win best picture, did it? Carry on. Uh, the um. It's just in my head. All right. Which would you rather watch at the weekend? <laughs> well, clearly frozen. But, yeah. you know, that's because I don't want to be traumatized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do. Let it go. Uh, okay, so then the year before that was Brave versus... Okay. Just no already. <laughs> Argo. Oh, no, Argo's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, Pirates Band of Misfits was up for Best Animation that year. So oh, that's Pirates yeah. in an yeah. adventure with scientists, adventure I think you'll find Helen. Yes, correct. Uh, oh, mm, <laughs> not over there. Yes, because they don't like science in America. Yes, Pirates Band of Misfits, uh, 84th Academy Awards. Okay, uh, that's Rango versus The Artist. Oh, The Artist is great. I loved it. 
See, the artist has been um, sullied over the years. Yeah, why? Its reputation tarnished. Why? I love that film. Why? People been... immediately decided it wasn't as good as everyone said. Yeah, I think people decided it was light and frothy, which it is, but that's like mm. not a bad it's thing. It's really clever and funny and sweet yeah. and charming. Yeah. Like me. Mm. <laughs> uh, well, and modest. Don't forget modest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 2010, the 83rd Oscars was Toy Story 3 versus The King's Speech. Oh, Christ. Toy Story 3. Toy Sophie's Story Choice. 3. Yeah. Of terrible films. Just, just out of curiosity, how oh. far are we going back in time? Is this going to be a kind of... We're, we're, just we're the this isn't a conchew situation no, where we're literally going years. back 2000 years. Have you okay, got something to do? Well, already up I mean... 2000, 2009 is, and I feel like I know the answer to this one, it's Up versus The Winning. Hurt Locker. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Hurt Locker is good, but it's no Up. No, it's Up. Yeah, up. I, yeah. I, I up. think it's Up. It's not sure. I just met it and I love it. Not it's sure. absolutely Okay. Is. The year before that, Wally versus Slumdog Millionaire. Wally. Give it to Wally. Give it to Wally. Uh, After the year, all he's been through. The year, <laughs> the year before that, oh, this is tougher though. Ratatouille uh -huh. versus No Country for Old Men. No Country, because no Ratatouille is quite average. No contest. Uh, what the fuck? So, one of the greatest films of the 21st century versus a little rat making food. I no. remember how much you didn't enjoy no. Ratatouille. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay. I had a I had a dream, and then I woke up. There was a fucking rat in my hair making spaghetti. <laughs> Fuck off, rat! Rat in my kitchen. Okay, this. What are you gonna do? <laughs> this next one, I would like yeah. to say neither, because Curious. it's The Departed versus Happy Feet, which, as we all know, as a penguin <laughs> hater, <laughs> I did not like. I you love George like Miller. I don't like. Look, it's it's a. It's no Infernal Affairs, That's James. Exactly it. <laughs> Infernal Affairs is a fucking masterpiece, and The Departed is a film. Yeah, and Happy Feet oh. is a cartoon, and yeah. Happy Feet is just not a good film. It beat Monster House, which is a far superior film. Much better. Yeah, Happy Feet is the and Happy Feet Two are the anomalies on George Miller's yeah. filmography. I just no, I mm -hmm. no, I reject yeah. them. <laughs> the, the next year is one where any animated film is better than the winner. The the Best Picture winner was Crash. Embarrassing for everybody. It should have been broke back. <laughs> mm. um, the animated winner was Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Okay, well, I enjoyed that. And that was up against Corpse Bride and Hall's Moving Castle, any of which could and should have been. You are a Were-Rabbit hater. Crash. Mm -hmm. I love the Were-Rabbit. I didn't hate the Were-Rabbit. I love it. Were-Rabbit's great. I give it five stars. But, uh, okay, we're nearly there. You're nearly there. So we have Million Dollar Baby. Yeah. Versus The Incredibles. Now I'm saying that's an oh, unfair fight. <laughs> Why? Because The Incredibles will just knock her into a corner. Yeah. I don't Brilliant. like Incredibles. Really? Yeah. I, 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 really? I, I don't think it's bad. I just, it's, I, I don't, yeah. It's I not, love Incredibles. It's not a film I love. But Million Dollar not, Baby, you're, you're watching every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for it. the lols. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm going Incredibles. Now. I think, I think it is Incredibles. It's, it's, yeah. it's too close to call. Uh, year before that, Finding Nemo. Right. Versus The Lord oh. of the Rings Return of the King. I mean, obviously Return of the King. Yeah. No. no. Hang on. Hang on. I have seen Return of the King once. Oh my what? God, I've you're that Finding guy. Nemo quite a few times. Finding Nemo is really, really sad and beautiful it and is. funny and charming. All of these things are true. Return of the King is extended length Robin of Sherwood. I'm not having... <laughs> 
Uh, this week on Alex's Hot Take. That is extraordinary. I don't know if it's a hot take. It's Extended Robin of Sherwood. the weakest of those three Now, films. are we talking Michael Praed, Robin of Sherwood, or yeah. Jason Connolly? No, Connolly. Uh, Jason Connolly. Connolly. Jason Connolly. Jason Connolly, Robin of Sherwood. Michael Praed, vintage. <laughs> vintage, okay. Yeah, vintage. Sean, Sean Connolly. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he should have been known as. I've got Bosch on the brain. That's the problem. Um, so, yeah, no. Okay, look, I'll, I'll grant you it's the weakest of the three. Mm-hmm. I'll grant you that. Mm-hmm. By a substantial margin, I'll also grant you it's at least an hour too long. Having said that, yeah, uh, it's great. Is it as good as Finding Nemo? Yes. Oh, I, I have watched it, it more times and will continue to watch it more times than Finding Nemo. I will never watch it again. Wow. So I couldn't make you watch the extended edition. I've seen the extended edition. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Uh, so I, you have seen it more than once? Well, it's two different films, isn't it? Mm. Have you seen the extended edition of Finding Nemo? Or maybe you just forgot. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> what are we talking about? Did you like Finding Dory? It was all right. Which John Nugent tried to give five stars to until oh, we bundled him. Is a a no, we, right. we staged an intervention. Finding Dory is the Hobbit movies of that franchise. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. A little bit harsh, anyway. We're so close to the end. Can we finish? Oh, well, please, well, I, I, I haven't it's waited. It's done yet. It's a very contentious uh, subject, isn't it? Okay, it, it because I'm it, in Alex's camp in this as well. Oh, yeah, that, I know. But you're a, you're a fucking bellend. Like, you're a, you're a, a rampant Lord of the Rings hater. And I don't I'm not a rampant Lord of the Rings hater. I'm, I'm, I'm agnostic. Yeah, but, yeah, but that, well, that even itself is, is a hateful position to I mean, take. I'm, they are modern masterpieces. I'm not saying we would burn you at the stake for being agnostic. But, like, we'd think about it. I mean, I would. We'd probably, you know, we'd get the Inquisition in to at least ask you some questions. Do I'd have I mean? a Nazgul kick his head in. Well, yeah. Um, and I, look, I, I adore Finding Nemo. I think Finding Nemo was a masterpiece. There were no Nazgul in Finding Nemo. That is true. That is. There were also no cave trolls. Given a choice between watching, what's it called? Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Yeah. Extended edition. Extended edition. And <laughs> Finding Nemo. You know I'd go for murder mystery. So. I mean, you, could, you could watch Finding Nemo several times well, in the time it would take you to yeah. watch the Lord of the Rings extended that, edition. That which does is put your three and a half hours, or is it four I and a half? Like it's four and a half no, extended, isn't extended it? Extended edition is over four. It's yeah. four and a half, yeah. Unnecessary. Sorry, what's four and a half extended? <laughs> Anywho, you've been talking to my wife. <laughs> the mouth of Sauron. Anyway, uh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> That's not okay. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Unnecessary. Sean Connolly. <laughs> <laughs> the lesser known of the Connollys. He might have played Gandalf. <laughs> and then I'd, then I'd have liked those movies. No, you know, they're, they're fine movies. They're fine, and I appreciate the artistry. You're a... Anyway. They're magnificent. Moving on, mm-hmm. before we just, like, dismember people. Um, the 75th Oscars, 2002 films. The 75th Oscars. Uh, Chicago won Best Picture. Oh, Get out of wrong. town. Whatever was against it is okay. better than that shit. Hey, well, L- you whoa. fucking back off, pal. L- uh, no, Look, hang on. They had it coming. <laughs> I saw Chicago... <laughs> they only had themselves to blame. <laughs> I saw Chicago um, on stage in the West End with David Hasselhoff. <laughs> hang on. Was, was he, he in it or were you sitting like, with yeah, him? You, like, <laughs> you need to clarify. Exactly. He just said, do you want to come? No, yeah, he was in it. <laughs> he, was, he was Billy Flynn. He was. Did you go? I might. I, I went to see it in the West End. I don't think I went to see it when he was. I've there. never seen a man so happy to be on stage. <laughs> was he? Was he sitting on all fours eating a burger? Yeah, he was chucked out. <laughs> so um, I saw it also in the West End. <laughs> Good story. I, uh, Denise Van Outen was Roxy Hart. Anyway, so Chicago won. 
nominated for Best Animated Film was Lilo and Stitch. That's the level we're at here, people. <laughs> because the winner was Spirited Away. Okay. Well, I mean, well, sorry, obvious, sorry, obviously. Rob Marshall. Right. Love you. Don't apologise. Sorry, not sorry. And we're finishing, Should have made a better film. Yeah. We're finishing this travesty of a section uh, which has exposed many crimes by the Academy. Many uh, crimes. And uh, also know, in this room. You know. it, well, yes. Um, but listen, you guys can be wrong about Lord of the Rings. It's fine. Oh. I, I, I allow it. Um... So this is the very first year that they brought in the best animated feature film category. Mm-hmm. And, and they got it wrong immediately. <laughs> <laughs> did they though? Yeah. Did they? Yes. Oh, they did. <laughs> yes, I'm just saying that you can, yes. Okay, so uh, the winner was Shrek. Fuck me, really? Mm-hmm. Yes, the winner was Shrek. Shrek was great at the time. Oh, no, it was it not. Wasn't. It, it wasn't. Shrek, Shrek 2 is great. Shrek 2 is great. Shrek 2 is, Shrek 2 is also fine. They're just okay movies. They're all okay they're movies. They're all the same movies. They're okay, no, no, but they're no, a no, little no, no, bit no. hateful. They're okay, but a little bit mm. hateful. And you can't quite put your finger on why, but they're a bit hateful. I think you forget how fresh Shrek seemed at the time when it came out. It just felt like it had a more subversive tone than everything else that was going on. They were, Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy were really funny together. Animation style. They were funny. Animation style was, was different. Yeah. No one had ever heard Mike Myers do a Scottish accent before. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So that was new. No one had asked him to do a Scottish accent. <laughs> um, I'd like Shrek. Well, who, anyway, who won? Uh, well, Shrek, by the way, beat Monsters Inc. This oh, that's the movie you were sore about. I thought yeah. it was Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. No, I mean, what else was up? And I'm... the the Best Picture winner. Oh God. Was a beautiful mind. No. Okay, so Monsters I mean, Inc. should have won Best Film that year. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, mm, Monsters no. Inc. should have won. I, think, best I don't picture. have affection for Monsters we Inc. Okay, this yeah. but like, if we're talking a beautiful mind, like I'd rather have Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. <laughs> I, I would say that in the time period we focused on, we haven't even talked about things like The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Beauty and the Beast. We haven't even talked about that sort of stuff yet. And we won't because it's far too fucking long. Uh, we, I would say at least half of the best picture, best animated feature winners are better than the best picture winners. Mm-hmm. But um, we literally half. established it this year with this year's ceremony. We didn't even need to go about one year to find one. But then it would have been a short segment. It would. Should we have a guest? Yes. Do Who it. do you want? Do we want uh, Alexander Skarsgård or the Julian Darcy's, the double Darcy's. Do you want to double down on Darcy? Golly. Wet shirts at go-go. Colin Firth and Matthew McFadden. Who do you want? Do you want the, the two English gentlemen or the, the hot Scandinavian? Let's get them out of the way. Let's get those two guys out of the way. <laughs> let's, get them, let's get them out of the let's way. Get let's get the Oscar-winning actor Colin wow. Firth and Matthew McFadden star one of the hottest shows on television. Out of the way. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get him out of the way. Uh, so Operation Mincemeat is out this week. It is a World War II drama based on true life events, but it is essentially the story of Operation, you'll never guess what it's called, Mincemeat, uh, which was uh, a British plan a- enacted in 1943. Um, I'm, I'm just going off the movie here, Helen. I can already feel Helen correcting me. <laughs> it was 1943, you ah. idiot, uh, in which in order to draw German attention away from Sicily, which is where the Allied uh, forces wanted to invade... They wanted to redirect them to Greece, uh, and so they concocted a cunning plan, which was Operation Minspeed, in which they got a corpse, dropped it in the ocean with some top-secret papers on it, and hoped that Fritz would take the bait. It's like Weekend at Bernie's. It's essentially yes, Weekend, it's at Bernie's, Weekend at Bernie's, but with uh, lots of stiff upper lips mm. and uh, people with mustaches in darkened rooms, smoking a lot and talking about stuff. Correct. So there we go. And Colin Firth and Matthew McFadden are the two architects of the scheme. And uh, they were together this week. I had a good old chat with them about lots of stuff, really, but not pride and fucking prejudice. Enjoy. 
We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the stars of Operation Mincemeat, Colin Firth and Matthew McFadden. How are you both? Very well, thank you. Very well. Good, good, good. Uh, you're both in a very, very tight, claustrophobic room, which I imagine is bringing back memories of the shoot, because your characters, you and Charles, spend a lot of time together in very, very small spaces. Very smoky small spaces as well. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, they, those rooms would have been condemned. Yes. <laughs> would be condemned today, yeah. yeah. Smoky little... Yeah. I, I think we cheated quite a bit on the square footage, though, on our film. I think the real Room 13, there's a little doc- documentary where you can see Ben McIntyre take you to, I think, the real original Room 13, which is uh, it's about the size of a fridge. And um, it's, you know, crammed with people. So I think, No light, yeah. Yeah. Once you smoke a pipe. He smoked a pipe in there, yeah. and I think everybody smoked something. You yeah, know? yeah. There's a, there's a lot of smoking in this movie, uh, which of course is is, is period specific, uh, of course, period accurate. Uh, what 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 were you guys smoking? Herbal cigarettes. Okay, okay. It's called rosewood. It's called something like rose honey. <laughs> it was rose. a long honey time rose. ago. Honey rose. Honey rose. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's it smells like a bonfire. It's not it's not really yeah. pleasant, and it it does go to your head, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it not, does. It's not completely yeah. it's sort of harmless. I don't think. I thought the movie was fascinating. I went into it knowing next to nothing about Operation Mincemeat. Uh, when you first got the script, were you both in the same boat? How much did you know about this? Had you read the book? Not before taking the job, no. Did you? I don't think I had, no. I'd read a lot of his other books, Agent Zigzag, and he wrote a brilliant biography of the SAS, the early days of the SAS. Yeah, and so, then the book about Philby is remarkable yeah, as well. There's a, another one, was it of Spyman's Friends? Is it? Yes, no, that's was right. that? There's one about, I think his name's Gordievsky, the Russian spy. Yeah, yeah, Gordievsky. And uh, Spy Among Friends was the, was the Philby one. That's right. Yeah. I was a fan of, growing up, I was a fan of a film called uh, The Man Who Never Was, mm-hmm. which was, I think, made in the mid-50s, um, very shortly after it all. It was on the same subject, and it was um, Ewan Montague's own account of what the book was. Uh, the book, Man Who Never Was, was the Ewan Montague's account of it. Mm-hmm. Um, with although he, a lot of the information was classified, and so it was rejigged, wasn't it? Or it was sort of was it? I mean, it was yeah. There were things that that yes, weren't weren't they were not able to reveal, and um, so I, I'm not I'm not really an expert on how all that came about or got put together, but it was turned into a film which I was absolutely riveted by as a as a child. Mm-hmm. So I did have that reference point. Ben went to. Uh, Ben went to Mont- your Montague's sons. Met met Montague's son um, in Oxford, and he put he went to, he took Ben upstairs and took a brief uh, took a big trunk from under a bed, in which was um, you and Montague's documents and all the all the original case files of Mincemeat, um, which Ben took and read the book from. So yeah, yeah, and treasure trove. Yeah. So, so, uh, so you got the script for the. Uh, that was the first time, really, that you had been connected with it, apart from Colin, your your experience with the, the previous film. And when you're flicking through the script, uh, I'm sure some things have been finessed, uh, you know, to make the cinematic experience a little bit more palatable. Uh, but it seems to me that there's there's a, a revelation on every page. I had no idea, for example, that Ian Fleming was involved with this uh, on some level. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, I had no idea either. I mean, I'm I'm not sure Ian Fleming was Ian Fleming yet when the first, when the the old book was written, yeah. when the old one came out. So yeah. um, it wouldn't have had the significance that it that it now has. But that was no, that was an extraordinary thing to discover. 
And John Masterman, who ran the, I think he was the chairman of the 20 committee. He was a writer as well. He was an Oxford Don who was running the secret committee, which was sort of charged with dreaming up ruses to fool the enemy and running double agents and all the rest of it. So there were lots of sort of very imaginative folk uh, with novelistic <laughs> tendencies, I think. Well, we're in the world of fabrication. Yeah. I, I mean, and yeah. on so many levels. We've got, you know, the, um, the, the business of these characters is to fabricate and is to fabricate as a as an instrument of of warfare but um then of course they they get caught up in the fabrication on a personal level certainly in our story and then it becomes about how you tell a story after that you know how 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 events are recorded what mythologies come out of it and uh, and we're still doing it with this film Absolutely, and uh, it's one of the things that fascinated me about the movie is is how uh, how exact the backstory that is created for this William Martin phantom uh, is, and and how rigorous the creation of that backstory is. And as actors, that must have spoken to you. Uh, you're obviously very conscientious actors. You're very professional actors. I'm sure you've been very meticulous in the creation of backstories. <laughs> Matthew is not too sure about this. He's <laughs> <laughs> What's the deepest you've ever gone in terms of a backstory creation for your I character? I grew a moustache. That's about as deep as you get. Yeah, that's about as deep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I had specs. I had specs, which was good. We had nice costumes. I was horribly envious of those, actually, because if I'd had that, that would have just been my performance. Yeah, my performance was sorted. I had specs and a moustache. But it does speak. There is, there is, seriously, there are correlations between what they were doing and actors, because you do get invested in the story. And inevitably, when you're working on something, you sort of become a little bit proprietorial about the part you're playing maybe. And, and certainly with Montague and Jean Leslie and Chumley, they were, they really, they really sort of got into it. You know, they were, they, they became quite sort of fierce about Major Martin and his, his sort of hobbies and his peccadilloes and his, you know, I mean, they, they made him not very good with money and, you know, they, it was meticulous, the whole, Backstory and his life. And- yes, I mean the warming to the theme. I mean all these all these um, flourishes and embellishments yeah. were probably critical, but they were also fun. Yeah, and it, it became an unstoppable game of, um, of of filling in the gaps and, and then becoming, as Matthew said, becoming enthralled to these characters and, and their story, and then probably a bit of vicarious, you know, living um, <laughs> wish fulfillment. You know, this this chap. That they're creating is younger than us. Yeah, you know, there's, they they romanticize him to some extent, but then they have to be careful about that because yeah. you over romanticize him, then you know he loses authenticity. But creating his love life as well um, can only have looming tragedy because also the man is in our story. I mean, the, the figure they're creating is already dead, and so the love letters and his hopes and all what they call wallet litter, the way he lived his life, the receipt for an engagement ring, ticket stubs for a theatre for a man who's not got long to live. Um, And although he's a a fictitious character, he reflects probably the reality for so many real people. And then I think, you know, uh, life starts to imitate art for the people who are making the story up. I guess with with backstory, especially with with characters who are part of an ongoing series, you know, whether it's Thomas Succession or Harry Hart and Kingsman, for example, 
uh, you have your version of what the character is, and then you have Matthew Fawn's version of the character or Jesse Armstrong's version of the character, and sometimes those two won't mesh necessarily. I don't know whether that's something you've you've found in your careers. I never, I don't, as a rule, I don't, or I've rather I've noticed that I don't, I never feel terribly proprietorial about the character. I think it's Jesse's character and I'm the conduit, I suppose. He's, I mean, the source is him. And I come in and, and not, not to sort of do down what actors do, but it's not, it's not my thing. I sort of, you, you bring yourself to it inevitably. But. You don't come in and go, he went to university in St. Andrews in the, in the 90s. No, and if I do, it's just sort of my own private workings out and imaginings and meanderings in my head, but it's not, you know. Um, but I never think it's my character. I think it's... it's I remember being told, actually, as a student, as a drama student, um, because we were, it was quite a, a method-based drama school that I went to. And so, and there's a bit of a paradox here, because yes, you're supposed to do all that, and you were supposed to come up with a, an autobiography for your character and, and delve into it and, and interact, you know, try to conjure up real emotion. Some of that I found helpful, some not. But at the same time, I think one of the most helpful things I was told was get out of the way of it. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot here already in in, in the script. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that's already been brought to it, and maybe or not that important to the process. You know, <laughs> these words just have to be heard, and Sorry. somebody has to move. Yeah. The the less you impose on it, sometimes the stronger it is. I think that must be a tricky thing to do initially, though, when you're when you're an actor when you're starting out. Maybe, but I think I don't know. There's a sort of I think there's a tendency to sort of want to. Feel everything, which is yeah. not always helpful. I'd say, which is sort of, it's a sort of piggybacking on what Colin just said. It's, it, it, if the writing's good and the, you know, the play is good, it sort of looks after you. You don't have to sort of reach inside and pull stuff out because it's already there. You just need to sort of jump in. I remember, in fact, right, and I, I remember one of our tutors actually rather aggressively telling all of us off. Um, for showing what we were feeling too much. He said, basically, no one cares. No one cares. No one cares what you're feeling. All they want to do, all they want is to know what's going to happen next. Yeah, what That's you're what doing. Do. Exactly. Yeah. It's what you're doing and not what you're feeling. Yeah. Or what you're trying not to feel. Mm. You know, that's the interesting thing. Mm. Colin, you had worked with uh, John Madden before on Shakespeare in Love. Uh, so what was it like reuniting with him on this? Yeah. Oh, well, wonderful. I mean, that's what really kicked it off for me because John and I are have remained friends throughout those years. And we actually live very close to each other. We're practically next door neighbors. And, um, and so there's no escaping John. Um, you know, he, I, I think I was trying to get him to cast me in things uh, over those years, unsuccessfully. Um, and then we had some near misses where we, we nearly did something or other together um, over, over, during that, I don't know, just in the last 10 years or so, and things didn't quite come together. So I knew he was developing this. And um, I remember asking him, he said, Operation Vincemeat. And I, didn't, I wasn't familiar with, um, with that title or, or the, the name of the operation. Not sure it came up in the old film. Um, but when he started telling me what it was about, I said, oh, is this the man who never was? And he said, no, it is not the man who never was. That's a, <laughs> that's a different film. And it, he's right, it really is. Mm-hmm. But I remember getting very excited about it and yeah. um, rather disappointingly realizing that they were looking for someone 
30 years younger, actually, to play you in Montague um, originally. Um, so I, I got lucky. I think they, they made some adjustments. To Norton, yeah. And Charles Chumley was 25, I think, at the time. 25. And I, yeah. yeah, I think Montague was about 41 or two. Okay. Um, yeah. And for you, Matthew, was, was I presume John Madden's not a neighbour? I presume you don't open your, your curtains of the morning and find him there in your, in your garden? No, no, I haven't been, no. Uh, but I knew, I, I knew of him, I knew of his films, which were wonderful. And um, yeah, so the script came along and uh, I thought it was brilliant. Mm. And working with Colin was irresistible. And I worked with Kelly before, Kelly MacDonald, who plays Jean and Nancy Wilson. So it was a really lovely, it was a lovely thing to... Yeah, it was a reunion quite quite across the board actually. I mean, mm. Kelly and I have worked together several times. I've worked with yeah. um, Penelope Wilson before, and uh, so yeah, bit of a bit of a family. One last thing before I let you guys go, um, I want to delve into the future, peer into the future a little bit. Um, stuff you probably can't even say anything about, but uh, what's the situation with Succession season four and Kingsman three, Colin? What's what's the latest in that? I have no idea. Kingsman 3 is a big old mystery. Um, <laughs> could just jump out at us all at any any time, but I'm afraid I, I'm, that's not me obfuscating. I have no idea about mm-hmm. Kingsman 3. I'm sure I'm sure it exists somewhere. And what can you say, Colin, about Succession Season 4? Dying to see it. I mean, this was I, – I, I had to be careful not to persecute Matthew um, <laughs> about Succession. <laughs> Remember, I was trying to have some decorum. <laughs> So it's interesting. Yeah, no, very, very good. Yeah. So, so what happens? No, I won't ask. Yeah. Just hoping that he'd slip or, yeah. or just feel generous yeah. enough to yeah. share something. Then I told him everything. It starts again in June, I think. Okay. In July, uh, something like that. And I, excellent. I don't, I don't, yeah. And uh, what can you say about Kingsman 3? I don't know anything about Kingsman 3. Or Kingsman 2 or 1, I, <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah. I just... <laughs> So it's a yeah, bit one-sided. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. I'm an deranged fan who wants to absolutely every detail. Like, what is that? He's Kings just heard man? these titles for the yeah, first time. Yeah. <laughs> check them out. Yeah, check them out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Colin's a killing machine, and it's yeah. a lot of fun, uh, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Thanks indeed for your time, Matthew and Colin. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Okie dokie then. So that was Colin Firth and Matthew McFadden, and we will be discussing Operation Mensmeet later on in the show in the reviews section. But for now, it is the movie news section. And has there been much movie news? I don't think there's been a lot of movie news this week. There was the, just this morning as we record this, the announcement of this year's Cannes lineup, um, which is, I mean, I'll be honest, there's a lot of usual suspects in there. Kaiser Schuze. No. Kaiser <laughs> Why does it take you three hours to record the podcast every week, Helen? Well, um, no, but I'm thinking people like, for Sean example. Connolly. <laughs> so um, I think we're talking about more like people like uh, David Cronenberg, the Dardenne brothers, Claire Denis. Um, Denis, Denis. Denis, Denis. Uh, Michael Hazanovicius. Uh, uh, James Gray, who they absolutely love at Cannes. Uh, Corey Ada. Yep. Park Chan-wook, of course. Kelly Reichardt, of course. Very bold of these people to make a movie in the same year that Michael Bay made Ambulance. <laughs> Don't they know that there's no way they can possibly match up to what he achieved? They're only, you know, it, it's only because he released before Cannes that these guys felt <laughs> able, I guess, to, to go ahead with their lives. Yep. But yeah, George Miller is also there oh. in the Art of Competition section. Yes. Um, 
you've got you've got uh, With Olivier three, three thousand years of longing. We should yeah. say not yes. Furiosa in case people think he's made that on the slime. Indeed, not not yet, at least. No David Lynch yet. There was a rumour this week that David Lynch had shot a film entirely in secret with Laura Dern and would be premiering it in Cannes. He, David Lynch he has... He debunked it. He, he has denied it. Yeah, but like, you know, Andrew Garfield denied being in Spider-Man, so everyone's just gone, aha, he hmm. denied it. Confirmation. <laughs> yeah, David, yes. David Lynch hasn't <laughs> seemed to have left his house. He does those missives from his house every morning about the weather. You know he can leave his house in between those missives. <laughs> Then get back again. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it seems it seems far fetched. Yeah, I, I don't believe I don't that. Think so. I'd like to true. think that he hasn't left his house. I just enjoy the idea that that David Lynch is pranking us all. I, I, been... I'm, I do not actually subscribe to the mm. he has a secret film that is going to be in canon and he's lying about it. Theory, secret but film. I enjoy that it exists. Yeah, it's been too long. It's been too long since we had a David Lynch movie, and I know we had Twin Peaks: A Return, and I know he's working on a new TV show, but it's been Inland Empire was two thousand and six, wasn't it? So it's nearly, it? yeah, it no. was 2006. Yeah, 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 yeah. Holy mackerel. Yeah. It's been a long time. This is one of the first years I've, because I, I, I used to go and did the Fitty Blog episodes and never saw any films because I was too busy making Fitty Blog episodes. But this is one of the first years where I've looked at the lineup and gone, you know what, I'd quite like to go. But but equally I'm busy that week. Yes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I, I obviously younger. went last year with less than 12 hours notice. So... Mm. You know, it, it it's fun. I'd like to go back, but I would like, I don't know, let's okay. say a minimum of 24 hours notice, if that's not too demanding. I've been to Cannes once. Cool. Once. And we're not allowed back after they made you persona non grata. <laughs> that was it. I was banned. Von Trier. Did you watch a film there? Didn't you Did just I... go and hang out with Steven Spielberg? No, no, no. We didn't hang out with Steven Spielberg. It was the, we went to the Terminator 3 Rise of oh, the Machines uh, party yes. at Pierre oh, well. Cardin's house. Did it win this the Palme d'Or that year? That uh, I don't think it did, no. no. Uh, and I went to a beach party with Delroy Lindo and that is my entire experience. Like with, like as his date? That's right, yeah. Wow. yeah that's no, right. I went with David Hasselhoff. Yeah. He went with Delroy Lindo. Speaking of films that are going to win the Palme d'Or next year, Brie Larson has joined the cast of Fast and Furious Ten. I mean, just of course, it's. I mean, what is it about women in this franchise that they tend to be like Oscar-nominated types, and the men tend to be wrestlers? What's up with that? Maybe okay. Maybe not Jordan and Brewster with the best will in the world, but you know, Michelle Rodriguez. There was no goodwill in that. There was no goodwill. I like her a lot, but she hasn't had those kind of roles. You know. So how do you know she's not capable of those types of performances? I'm not saying she's not capable. I'm just saying she hasn't had that kind of conversation. She hasn't had that buzz. But like Michelle Rodriguez had a bit of that buzz for mm. Girl Fight back mm-hmm. in the She got paid quite a lot for being in it though. She was in Widows. You know, Bruce's Minions. Are you talking about Charlize and Helen Mirren? I'm talking about Charlize. I'm talking about Helen Mirren. I'm talking about Brie Larson. What is mm. it with that? Well, I think when you become an actor of a certain stature, you crave a certain type of role. And I think you want something that really stretches you as a performer. And mm. that's what this franchise offers. <laughs> Most Oscar-nominated actresses at one point in their life want to work with Vin Diesel. I think that's the point. <laughs> that is that is true. Yeah, yeah that is. That's true. it. Uh, I mean, he does seem to. There does seem to be a genuine love between him and Helen Mirren. So yeah, fair play to him. He really came through in that film. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Finn announced this on Instagram with a picture of him and Brie Larson chuckling away to themselves. No, no <laughs> doubt they had seen their paychecks for the movie, and he goes, "Clearly, there is love and laughter in this image." What you don't see, however, is the character you will be introduced to in Fast 10. You have no idea how timeless and amazing she will be in our mythology. Mm. Beyond her beauty, her intellect. Our mythology, mythology. I mean, honestly. (laughs) Her Oscar, ha ha, 
is this profound soul who will add something you might not have expected, but yearned for. Acting. Welcome to the <laughs> family, Bree. I, I swear to God, he thinks he's making Shakespeare. A hundred percent he thinks I, he's making Shakespeare. Look, if him thinking he's making Shakespeare is what it takes for him to make Fast and Furious movies, I'm okay with yeah. that. Should we analyse these words on, on, on Finn on okay. Instagram? You have no idea how timeless and amazing she will be in our mythology. Beyond her beauty, her intellect, her Oscar haha. That's his words. Oh, right? Oscar haha. Yeah, yeah, Oscar yeah, he ha-ha. says Oscar haha. Is this profound soul who will add something you might not have expected but yearned for? Now, what have you yearned for in the Fast and Furious series apart from cogent plotting <laughs> and an end point and coherence? Oh, Alex. What <laughs> Am I detecting you're not a fan? No, Alex? you're a hater I've seen two of them. Really? Which ones? The first one. The best one, yes. No. And, and the incorrect. one with Luke Evans. Oh well, no, actually, well, you've missed out. Well, my friend, that's where you're wrong because there are a couple with Luke Evans. <laughs> Were there? Yeah, he's yeah, in six, seven, and he, he makes a cameo appearance in eight. I think he died at the end six. of the one. I saw. That's oh, no that's barrier cool. in this no series. Barrier. And I've heard that. Mm. Mm. That hasn't entirely. You need to watch, to watch five. Do I? Feel. I? Yeah. Five is, is but, uh, genuine. But I think, but I think the five will not have the same impact that it had at the time because five was a fundamental shift in the quote unquote mythology. Uh, and I think you kind of had to be there for it. Well, but I'm not going to watch two, three, and four. You don't no, need to. You don't, you don't have need to. Watch to. Two, three, and four. Nobody's too fast, too furious. Yeah. Tokyo Drift. Yeah. You should at least watch the extended edition, which is four and a half <laughs> uh, extended. You know, I still haven't seen the fourth one. I have never seen Fast and Furious. It's it's good. It's no right. Fast Five. It's the only one I've not seen. One oh. day I might watch ten Fast and Furious films, but it's unlikely. All right. So, so I sense a feature coming. So what, <laughs> so what have me. you yearned for? What What do you what think? Do we could, yearn for? What could she bring to this franchise? I mean, he keeps calling her an angel. And, you know, words like that. I mean, is she somehow connected to Judy Dench in the Chronicles of Riddick? <laughs> is there going to be some kind of crossover? Is that what he's trying to Please trail make here? that happen. Is Judy Dench an angel in the Chronicles? Yeah. Chron- Did you, have you not seen the Chronicles of Riddick, the modern masterpiece that is the Chronicles of Riddick? No, I saw Pitch Black. I did not see the Chronicles of Riddick. I mean, you, you chose correctly, <laughs> but that, that's not the point. The point is, yeah, she is basically an angel. Yeah, she's, she's, she's... Obviously. She's magic. She's made yeah. of magic. Mm. Mm. Sounds like missing out. I, I I don't know. Do you think she's playing a, a Toretto? He says, "Welcome to the family, Bree." Just yeah. one Toretto. <laughs> I, I wondered about like <laughs> Paul me. Walker's sister. Paul Walker's sister. Mm-hmm. There is another Walker. What was his character surname? Come on. Uh, the, I, literally, I literally just said it. I said it. Did you? It's Brian. It's it Brian. Brian. Yes. <laughs> Brian Thompson. <laughs> well, I don't know, what's Your clothes given to me. That's Brian, Brian Thompson. Brian Terminator. Oh, yeah. yeah Brian, Brian Terminator right. Thompson. That's right. Uh, O'Connor. Ah, oh, Brian. Who can forget Brian O'Connor? It is O'Connor. It's all coming back to me now. All right. So we think, oh, let's get a cut. Let's get a shout. She might be the uh, O'Connor sister we heard nothing about because they're just making <laughs> yeah. up family as they yeah. as just go along. Whoever she's yeah. playing, it's going to be timeless. And amazing. Yeah. And, and amazing. profound. Mm-hmm. And you might not have expected it, but you yearned for it. When you say timeless, does that mean she's late? She doesn't come in till late in the film? Maybe time travel is a factor. <gasps> oh, Jesus Christ. It probably is. Uh, all right, should we move on? Uh, what else is going to win the Palme d'Or next year? Um, uh, Rebel Moon, Zack Snyder's new film, has yes! added some more cast. Uh, Carrie Elwes, Corey Stoll, and Michael Husman. 
somebody's been getting my letters. This is good. <laughs> so um, we don't know much about it, except it's kind of a, it was originally pitched as a Star Wars movie and, and now it isn't a Star Wars movie. It's a completely separate science fiction idea that has nothing to do with Star Wars. Right. But it's set in a peaceful colony on the edge of the galaxy that is threatened by the armies of the tyrannical Regent Balisarius. <laughs> we don't know much about what, him. Who just, made Jag? I, I, don't, I can't say much about him, but yes. <laughs> and then they see they send off uh, Sophia Butella to seek out warriors to help them make a stand. It's, as I said before, it's about beyond the stars in space. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's what it is, essentially. So it's uh, it sounds really, really cool. We've seen some con- some concept art for it. Rupert Friend, Charlie Hunnam, Sophia Batella, uh, Jenna Malone, Duna Bay, Ray Fisher, Rupert Friend. Have I said him already? He's, he's so Hansu? good. Chaiman Honsu, Stuart Martin. They're all in it. Everyone's yeah. in it. And this is a great cast. Yeah, very much Well so. done, everybody. Looking forward to it. Good stuff. Um, in news that I, you know, I hope happens, uh, but experience has taught me to maybe not count on happening, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 4 has a director. Do we hope that happens, yeah. though? Well, I mean, in the sense that we always, every day is Christmas Eve, and we hope there'll be a fantastic Beverly Hills Cop 4 that, you know, lives up to the first two. We want first that. First one. First one, okay. Then we want that, hey, but we we don't, you know... I just, I feel like it's too late. I think there should be a cutoff point when films like that are in development for so long, when the years turn into decades, yeah. and then you think, who is this for anymore, and what purpose does it serve? But maybe this will be like the colour of money of the Beverly Hills Cop franchise. Is Scorsese <laughs> involved? Scorsese isn't technically attached. No, but the news actually this week was... But he's excited about it because it's cinema. It's <laughs> cinema. Um, no, the, the news this week was that Mark Malloy has been cast as the director. Now, this is technically his feature debut, but he's done a lot of ad When you say work, technically. Apparently. Well, it is actually also yeah. his feature debut. Um, but, you know, he's, he's apparently well-respected in the ads industry and has a good eye for things. So... Well. So, you know, yeah. Good luck. Good Listen, luck to everybody involved. He could give us something that we didn't know we expected, but we yearned for. We yearned for, and it's probably mm. going to be timeless yeah. and timeless. amazing and angelic. Um, mm. Rose Glass of Saint yes. Maud fame, the great Saint Maud, amazing, the brilliant, disturbing, and horrifying Saint Maud, is making a film, a romantic thriller, apparently set in the world of extreme bodybuilding, in which what? Christian Stewart is playing the protective lover of a female bodybuilder. St. Maud was amazing. James, I believe they used a quote from you on the trailer. I think the quote was, fucking hell. It was just, fuck me, oh, in fuck massive me. letters. And that was the yeah. poster they used. Good review. Yeah, I thought so. It, I thought cut right to the heart of it. Yeah, it was, It was. You, if anyone has seen that film, we're probably still recovering from it. It was a really mm. good debut. I think it was her first film. Yeah, it she was, went, yeah. She debut. went full Arthur Harrow. Um, so it's brilliant that she's not only making another film, but making another film with Kristen Stewart, who only seems to do interesting things yeah. these days. And is in my opinion, always good. So I'm up for this one, big time. So Magic Mike, just a couple of last things. Magic oh. Mike's Last Dance is shooting right now in the UK. Mm-hmm. Steven Soderbergh back to direct. Uh, Channam in the title role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tandy Wayne Newton was going to star in the movie alongside Channam, but now she has stepped away because of a personal situation. Mm-hmm. And Salma Hayek is stepping in to replace her. Well, I'm, I hope that everything's all, all right at the Newton household, but... Um but Salma Hayek is is no downgrade. Um, so I love yeah. Magic Mike XL XXL XXL. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Interesting. I don't think Soderbergh directed that one, did no. he? He didn't. So no. he is returning to the franchise, if you can call it that. But um, I love that second one. They were two very very different films. I wonder if this will be a complete tonal shift as well. Mm. I think it's going to be elegant, timeless, amazing. It'll give you something that you didn't know you expected but yearned for. 
Mm. Which is Channam. Men in pants. Doing a dance in pants. To Pony by Genuine. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about was some very, very sad news that the great Gilbert Gottfried passed away this week at the age of 67 after a long battle with illness. Yeah. Really sad just because, I mean, 67 is no age at all uh, these days. He was, of course, uh, one of the all-time great kind of stand-up comedians, one of the all-time great improv comedians. Uh, One of the clips that's been going around this week is him on Celebrity Squares absolutely killing it. You fool! Brilliant, brilliant clip. Also, the Litany Against Fear, which he did. Yes. Also, he read, you know, someone asked him to record like two lines of um, Shakespeare's Iago because, of course, one of his most famous film roles was voicing Iago the parrot in in Aladdin and he gave them like an entire speech so there's this really weird clip again of him going around reciting Shakespeare mm. He's he, he had one of the most extraordinary voices in the world he was also very very famous for bad taste humour very famous so mm. So famously, after, I'm saying famous a lot, but anyway, after 9-11, he was one of the first people to make a joke about 9-11 and yeah. the audience all shouted out, too soon, which is genuinely where that came from, as far as I know. Yeah, that's that, certainly that the popularization is, yeah. of, wow. popularization so of he t- that. So it's talked about in the amazing documentary, The Aristocrats, yes. which oh, is, right, of yeah. course, the, you know, the, the, the story of the ultimate shaggy dog story, which is, you know, a lot of comedians tell the aristocrats joke, which is... Someone yeah, chasing someone's pants. Basically, yeah, you know, yeah. Family <laughs> walks into an impresario's office and say, "What's your act?" And then they do this act, and it's the most debauched thing you can possibly think of. And then at the end of it, you know, the guy, usually panting and covered in some sort of bodily fluid, goes, <laughs> ah, "The aristocrats." So that's the joke. And Gilbert Gottfried tells one of the the most amazing extended mm. versions of that. Um, but in the documentary. They talk about because comedians, honestly, they, they he was like the comedian's comedian, and they just yeah. re- revered him. And they talk about this, the boldness. And I'm not condoning it in any way, shape, or form. Even though structurally, it's an astonishingly good joke. Um, the boldness of doing this in New York two weeks after 9/11, because he just did not give a fuck. Yeah. But the joke is, he goes, he goes in, and he goes, "I have to leave early tonight. I have a flight to California." I can't get a direct flight. They said I have to stop at the Empire State Building first. Wow. The, the aristocrats was his, basically how he swerved after being told it was too soon to joke about 9-11. He swerved into the aristocrats, <laughs> which is a, a joke that comedians tell each other, but not generally the public. Mm. And um, yeah, it's astonishing. If you haven't seen the aristocrats documentary and you have a strong stomach, definitely watch it it's amazing he was genuinely one of a kind mm. nobody else had that voice no. or that energy yeah no astonishing one. astonishing comedian I always have this this sort of gear shift when we do these these things and we go someone's died and it's very very sad now let's plug Empire Magazine yeah. um, I think it's what Gilbert Gottfried would have wanted so <laughs> let's, let's do that because it's out right now isn't it folks it is it's out right now as of yesterday, it is the Jurassic World Dominion. An issue 65 million years in the making, or at least it felt that way. It did. So. This is an astonishing... Hmm. You didn't know you wanted it, but you've yearned for it. It's a new issue of Empire Magazine. <laughs> it's a 12-page Jurassic blowout. We spoke to everyone. We were the only publication. Sorry, wow. that was an unexpected turn. Is that like the, the the bit in the first film where she sticks her arm in to the big pile of shit? Is it like the aristocrats when he was the cast of Jurassic Park? <laughs> it's like that time you went to Cannes. <laughs> no. <laughs> What's going on? 12 pages on Jurassic World Dominion. Nick DeSemlian was the only journalist on set. Was he there as a journalist or was he there as Edmund, a key part of the franchise? I th- is Edmund 
dead or alive? <gasps> I'm not sure. Oh, it's no. hard to tell. Am I speculating? It's hard to tell whether Nick's alive or dead. Quite um, he, sometimes he spoke to many, many people. He spoke to the legacy cast. He spoke to the well, they're not new anymore. But he spoke to the new trilogy cast. He spoke to Colin Trevorrow. He spoke to everybody. He met dinosaurs. He touched dinosaurs. He wasn't allowed back. But he's done twelve <laughs> pages on this film, which looks so entertaining. And um, we've got incredible covers that we shot ourselves in Los Angeles. Two covers. Legacy cast, the new breed. Um, it's a beautiful piece of work. We also have an oral history of Top Gun Maverick by Chris, sorry, Hewitt. Hmm. Hewitt. Uh, do you want to talk us through that one, Chris? You did it. I did do it. I, I am responsible for that. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, a deep dive into the making of Top Gun Maverick. And uh, over the last couple of years, because it's been delayed a couple of times, I've spoken to a number of people from that movie a number of times. Uh, Tom Cruise, Joe Kaczynski, the director, Jerry Bruckheimer, mm -hmm. uh, Chris McQuarrie, uh, and many um, members of the cast. And so we thought, you know, what better way to tell the epic story, the what is it now, 36-year odyssey uh, to bring mm. this to the big screen, Top Gun 2, uh, essentially, and uh, then by oral history. Yeah, cool. it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's a great read. We have a feature on Alex Garland's new film, Men. I think it's the first piece in the world, as far as I know of, on that film, which he's saying is a folk horror in oh, yeah. which Rory Kinnear plays almost all of the men in the film. It looks terrifying and spooky and weird. It's the first Alex Garland film that doesn't have any sci-fi elements. And we spoke to him, we spoke to the cast, Jesse Buckley and Rory Kinnear. We have Elizabeth Moss in, in conversation about her new drama, Shining Girls, which is really, really good. We talked to her about Shining Girls and indeed her entire career, uh, West Wing, Handmaid's Tale, Top of the Lake, uh, lots of amazing things. Invisible Man. And um, that's a really great read. We have Nick Cage on the unbearable weight of massive talent, which is an absolute blast of mm -hmm. a film. Um, it's really funny. It's really sweet. And it's extremely meta. And he talks us through what the hell that all is about. And we have Gaspar Noe in conversation with Dario Argento. Gaspar Noe has made a extremely beautiful and depressing film called Vortex about uh, an old couple in their 80s just living and deteriorating in their Paris apartment. And the man is played by Dario Argento, who has never really acted before. And we spoke to them both together about that film and about their twin careers as cinematic provocateurs. It's an incredible conversation. And then we have a great feature on 100 Years of Nosferatu, which uh, Pamela Hutchinson wrote and spoke to many people about why that film is still so unique and still so creepy and still so affecting and still so influential mm. with contributions from Robert Eggers, Willem Dafoe, and uh, lots of people she spoke to. Um, it's a good cool. one. Chris, you have Hello. a section in the back of this magazine. I don't remember what's in it. Okay. I'll tell you what's in it. Yeah. David Arquette. David Arquette, that's right. That's right, David Arquette is in that. Uh, the first time he has spoken about Scream 5 since Scream 5 came out and all the things that happened in that movie. Uh, and it's uh, I had a really good time talking to him. And um, yeah, I'm going to say no more about it. Just read the read the feature, uh, read the piece. It's in the review section, which which is the uh, the section at the back. It is the best section in the magazine, of course. And uh, it also there, includes there a Spider-Man feature, Chris. It, there's some Spider-Man stuff in there and some other things as well. So it's it's very exciting. I can't remember anything that's in it, but um, take my word for it. I'm sure it's good. We also have a great Take 20 front section uh, this month, including David Leach on Bullet Train, including Mick Jagger oh, yeah, wrote writing that. a song. Yeah, wrote that. Yeah. Yes. Did that. And Mike Myers. Did that. On. 
The Pentaveret. Is that how you say it? Yes. The Pentaveret. It's his uh, new show. I don't know what it's about. Do you? Yes, I do. Uh, to an extent. Uh, so The Pentaveret is Mike Myers' return. Uh, he's been away for a long time since a love guru. He was just riding high on the triumph of the love guru, and uh, which was in 2009. And uh, so The Pentaveret is a six-part limited edition comedy series on Netflix in which Mike Myers plays eight roles. Mm. And this was... Um, this is something that he's been thinking about for a long, long time. How long, folks? Almost 30 years. In fact, more than 30 years because he actually mentions the Pentaveret in So I Married an Axe Murderer, oh, wow. the mm. first film, of course, in which Mike Myers essays a Scottish accent. And so this is about a secret society called the Pentaveret who have been running things for centuries and uh, are investigated by a Canadian journalist played it, by Mike Myers. It was astonishing to get hold of him for this magazine. He doesn't do many interviews at all, I believe. No, the only time I've ever spoken to Mike Myers before was um, in the red carpet lineup at Cannes, weirdly enough, for Inglorious Bastards. And he said maybe three things. And then mm. I think he did a Dr. Evil little pinky thing uh, at the end, just okay. as a kind of, you know. But other than that, he doesn't really do much. We also, the last thing to say about this interview, we have an, a riotous pint of milk interview with, with Josh Brolin. Did, was that you, Chris? That was me as well. Yeah. What were the highlights? I mean, he's just a very funny guy. He's yeah. he's one of those guys who is uh, very naturally funny, very smart with it, and uh, could probably be a stand-up if he wanted to be. Uh, he's very, very slick. Yeah. Uh, so he, yeah, I can't remember what we printed, but he, he talks about his prowess in the kitchen <laughs> and how, how his prowess, but something else growing up, uh, perhaps helped him uh, with this thing that he does in the kitchen. It's uh, there's lots more in this issue. Yeah, it's a really great good issue. One. It's an all star cast. It nearly destroyed us. Please, it on. is cracking. Two covers, of course, two split covers. So you have the oldies on the uh, one cover and the newbies on another cover. Dinosaur is a go go. Uh, it is an amazing, amazing issue of Empire Magazine. Uh, despite the fact I can't remember anything that's in my section, which means that the joy of discovery will be all yours. <laughs> uh, so pick it up right now, folks. It's on sale in all good, evil, and virtual news agents. So do pick it up. Thank you very much indeed for your time and indeed your interest. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening. <laughs> See, I'm trying to be a little bit more soft and, and warm and winning because, you know, I'm not sure that the paying my wages, you absolute motherfuckers thing was, was really, was yeah, really it was working. Not, it was not good, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. I did try to a, tell you a, literally every time you said it. A touch it. aggressive in terms of mm. A touch marketing. aggressive? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm I don't wish hostile. to give negative I'm feedback, but I hope this is like, po you know, positive. No, it's like, good. It's good. I can take these things on board. Feedback, I can yeah. take these yeah. things on board. Okay. Fuck you. Yeah. Pay me. Maybe I should be just be a bit more like, could you please, if if you would be so kind, please, sir, there you go. If you I could, want you to buy the issue. If you could see your way to paying my wages, please, you absolute motherfuckers. Would that I mean, work? I, I, so much closer, so much more like in the in the, Warm, the realm of a funkular. Yeah, up until the last few charming. words, I mean that kind of lost some of the charm for me. I don't okay. wish to nitpick, but anyway, anyway. Now we've got the shameless plug out of the way. It is time for our second and final guest this week, uh, who is, of course, the wonderful Alexander Skarsgård. You know him. He was Eric Northman in True Blood, and he has been in many, many films and television shows. And since. he is uh, Derek Northman in The Northman. He's Derek Northman. <laughs> <laughs> That's precisely who he plays in The Northman, which is his new movie, uh, directed by the wonderful Robert Eggers, in that he plays a Dan Danish? Danish? Viking. Viking. In that he plays a Viking. Uh, who is on a mission of revenge, shall we say, to try and kill the man who, without giving too many spoilers away, maybe killed his 
father and left trailer. her dead. It's in the trailer. It's in the trailer. It's in the trailer. I will avenge you, father. I will avenge you, father. Save you, mother. I will save you, mother. I will kill you, Fjolnir. Yep, it's it's there. It's it's a great great catchphrase. It's it's second only to what's up. He just hits that thing if quite a few times in the film. He does. He does. And so that's where he does. He goes to uh, avenge his father, save his mother, and kill Fjolnir, who is the person who killed his father. And of course, he's all grown up now, and so he's muscular, uh, rippling muscles, Mm. uh, glistening in the moonlight. Let, let the record show that groan was not That was me. Alex. That was Alex. That was Alex. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't a sex groan. <laughs> it wasn't. Sure. <laughs> I was sure. wondering if you were talking about your interview. It wasn't not a sex groan. <laughs> According to you. <laughs> it was It was sex groan adjacent. I'm adjacent to James. Steady. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not your sex groan. <laughs> anyway, Alexander Skarsgård produced and starred in the movie and I spoke to him on Zoom the other week. Both of these interviews, these people were in London and yet I'm still speaking to him on Zoom. Sorted out. Although, in fairness, it actually suited me to do them from home. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, okay. here's Alexander Skarsgård. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star and producer of the fantastic The Northman, Mr. Alexander Skarsgård. How the devil are you, sir? Um, um, good morning. I'm pretty good. Thank you. Good, good, good. You Where are you at the moment? You're in London, aren't you? I think so. <laughs> uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind uh, press tour. Uh Lots of traveling the, uh, lately, but um, I believe I'm in central London at the moment. Okay. Got in from Rome yesterday. Oh, my God. Okay. Do you have time to pop over to Belfast and just wallow in the memories of the past when you were shooting this movie? Unfortunately, not since we've shot it, but I would, um, I would love, uh, I'd love to go back because uh, when we shot it, it was, um, well, first of all, it was during the pandemic 20 summer fall early winter of 2020 um so during the lockdown um and we were also very very um i mean everyone was isolated but we shooting a, a movie with uh, a crew of three four hundred during the pandemic before the vaccine was out was um and it, it was not easy and uh we we had to be very very isolated so mm. Over the course of those six months, I, um, I didn't didn't fully experience Belfast. So uh, um, I'm, I'm I'm dying to go back and and actually be reunited with 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 the local crew there and 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 go out to the to the pubs. Because <laughs> I imagine it would, that would have actually helped, wouldn't it? That sense of a sense of isolation. Because Amlet in this in this movie is someone who is absolutely he sets himself apart for obvious for obvious reasons from from pretty much everybody except for Anya's character. So that must have fed into your characterization. Yeah, it it absolutely did, and it was um, it was it was quite an intense uh, shoot physically and mentally so um whenever um we didn't have many days off but on weekends it was uh i, I didn't have much energy to do much anyway so it was like I, I was quite isolated and and um um even if i hadn't been i i probably wouldn't have had much energy to to do a a uh a pub crawl with with a local <laughs> with a local foot um <laughs> But again, like now that we're done and uh, um, 
I'm off the training. I'm off the diet. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, re- to, to return. <laughs> Are you really ever off the training and really ever off the diet as, as an actor? You must always constantly be watching what you eat and no, never. Out. I've only done it, uh, twice. It was, uh, Tarzan, uh, a few years ago. And then the Northman, those are the only two times I've ever worked with, uh, a trainer and and been on a strict diet. Yeah. And that, that's not fun from what I understand. But it's also like when you're an actor, you're, you're spoiled. You have a lot of help. It's, it's, you have, uh, the studio will get you the best trainer and the best nutritionist and the best plan to how to, they, they organize everything. So, um, you don't really have to do much. They tell you what to do and when to do it kind of, yeah. Um, but, but of course you, you got to put in some work yourself, but, uh, uh, for the Northman, I was, uh, just, I was very excited about finally making the movie after years of pre-production and planning and talking to Rob about, um, the character and the story. When you finally get started, it's, <clears throat> there's so many, um, months and years of, 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 of again, just, hypothetically talking about the character and in loose terms. But then when you start the training, it's that's the first day when you go into real pre-production, uh, at least for, for me as an actor. Um, and it becomes very, very real that you're actually getting ready to do it. Um, so I was, I was incredibly excited and motivated to, to actually start that journey. Um, and um putting on some weight if it, it felt important uh my character's name when he's a berserker in the beginning of the movie is Björnulf which means bear wolf uh there and there's a scene in the beginning of the movie in which he transforms he sheds his um uh, human shape and spirit and and and, and becomes uh, this hybrid his spirit animal it's a hybrid of a wolf and a bear and um and it just felt imperative to to not be, uh, I'm a bit too lean for that character. So it, it, it was important to have a bit more bulk and, and slightly more um, bear-like in my posture and, and, and size. It works. It really works. I mean, was that, uh, was that the stuff you filmed right at the beginning? I mean, did you film it chronologically or were you always having to go back and forth in terms of your posture and body language? It, we went back and forth. Um, we did most of the, the physical stuff roughly around the midpoint, I'd say um, end of month two, month three, month four, those were the months where we shot the big, big action, the big set pieces, the raid of the village, the, um, the end fights, the Knutleke game. Um, all those were roughly in the middle. Um, we started out with uh, scenes on the farm around Fjellner's farm. And I think it was, it ended up being, I think it was a coincidence, but not a coincidence, but I don't think it was planned this way, but it ended up being quite good because uh, Rob Eggers, the filmmaker, and I had uh, spent years planning this and talking about it, but we'd never been on a movie set together. I mean, we've never, um, Anya has worked with him on The Witch, but Rob and I have never worked together. So day one was the first time we're actually on set together. Um, and obviously knew how, Rob and Jaren, his cinematographer, how they work. 
and it's it's quite particular and quite unique way of of making movies in which well first of all it's shot on film yeah it, all the scenes pretty much all the scenes there are a couple of dialogue scenes uh in which there are coverage but most of the scenes there are no coverage at all it's just one one continuous shot um so that is a style of filmmaking i'm not used to um so it was very good to have the first two weeks were smaller, more kind of um, pedestrian scenes, walking around the farm, doing labor on the farm, uh, technical stuff, shorter scenes of my character just like walking from the barn to the longhouse, that kind of stuff. Um, and it was really good because it was an opportunity for me to learn how they work and learn the um, the relationship, the dance uh, between myself and the camera, how meticulous the plant it is, how m- much we had to block it and rehearse it and plan it, um, and what it took, what it, what I needed to bring in order, because it, it, it can easily feel a bit robotic, but how to, how to approach it in order to try to instill some life in that, because again, it is so precise. Mm-hmm. You don't really have much time or space to move around or, or improvise or play around. Uh, so it was good to have those weeks before we got into the more <clears throat> technically more difficult scenes, because then by then we uh, had that kind of um, we, we, we kind of uh, we were uh, already gotten to know each other better on set and, and how to work in, in order to to accomplish that. Yeah, it, it would have been terrible if you'd gone through all this work with Rob for five years and then got the set and just hated working with each other on day one. That, <laughs> that, would, have, that would have sucked. <laughs> that would have really, really sucked. It would have been incredibly anticlimactic. <laughs> Be like, oh god, six months with six months with this guy. Oh no, that's yeah. terrible. Um, yeah. Was Was there a table read for this movie? Because if there was, I, I I'd love to see what that would have been like. Because this thing is bonkers. I think we. <laughs> uh, I actually don't think we did. We rehearsed quite a bit. Um, in Belfast, the weeks leading up to, I got there about probably a month before we started shooting, uh, um, m- mostly to work on um, w- with the stunt choreographer and the stunt team on the on the big fight scenes, uh, but also to get together with the other actors and and, and rehearse some of the scenes. Um, uh, but I don't, no, I don't think we did a tailory. I don't All think right. we did. Okay, you you need to fake one and put it on the DVD. That's because <laughs> I'm just... actually I'm always I'm terrible at table reads because I don't really. Uh, well, I guess that could have been funny as well because it's obviously an emotional scene and there's a lot of of, of uh, adrenaline pumping. Yeah. Uh, and I'm always very mellow at table reads. I I rarely. Sometimes people really get into it at table reads and they really act it out. Yeah. Uh, I always have a hard time doing that. So I'm. Um, uh, it'd be very disappointing to to see that table read, at least to see m- my performance. That'd be amazing because someone someone reading out and then Amleth howls primarily uh, at the yeah, sky, yeah. and and you're and sitting I'm there sitting going there yawning like, oh, <laughs> I am Amleth, oh, son of Orwander. Whatever. <laughs> Let's go back to your relationship with with Robert Eggers and how that began, because I, I know that you guys, when you first met, you very quickly 
you were talking about something else, but then you moved on to this shared love of Vikings and Viking sagas, and from uh, that's from whence the Northmen came. Um, but what I love about the fact that you met with him, you met with him after The Witch and not after The Lighthouse. You saw The Witch, and like most people, I guess, who saw that movie, you thought, oh my God, here is this incredible new voice, this new cinematic voice. Was that, was that yeah. what was on your mind? No, I, I, I was really impressed by The Witch, and um, I know the producer of The Witch. I also know that it was a very small budget, a very small movie, and what, what Rob was able to create uh, was so impressive. It was, um, it was evident that his um, attention to detail was just next level that that it really felt like you're you're transported back in time and everything feels um nothing um has a sense of a, a, a of a movie set it feels re- real because it is real like he builds those sets in in in, in the way they would have been built um at the time nothing feels even remotely anachronistic um but then yeah, we met about another project but then uh, the Northman is is about fate, and this it, it was fated that we would, should work together because <laughs> um, we met about something else. I was with Lars Knudsen, the Danish producer, um, who, who had yeah. he just worked with Rob on the Witch, um, and Lars and I were trying to figure out uh, the perfect Viking story to tell, and we're going through the old sagas and trying to decide which one to to, to base uh, our Viking movie on. And then I met Rob about something else, and he had just returned from Iceland, uh, where he had had dinner with Björk and Sean, uh, the Icelandic poet, author, musician, Renaissance man. Um, <laughs> and Rob had fallen in love with uh, Iceland, the, the 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 people, the culture, um, and and was really into Norse mythology after that. Um, so the time it just felt like the we met and ended up started talking about Iceland and and and, and Norse mythology and and I mentioned that I was trying to make a Viking movie and Rob got fired up and started talking about different ideas and um, we ended up spending that entire lunch just talking about Vikings and l- leaving the meeting it felt it just felt inevitable like I called Lars Knudsen and I w- told him about the meeting and Lars was like. Rob is a genius. He's amazing to work with. Of course, we should ask if he wants to to join us and 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 try to do this together. And and so we did. And that that's when um, that was kind of the genesis of the Northmen. Because then Rob, to our great uh, delight, said yes and um, called Sean in Iceland, and 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 Sean wanted to was excited to write this together with Rob and that, that that's how they, the, the story began kind of. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about how this takes the bones of Hamlet and does something very, very different with them. But one of the things I loved about the film was the supernatural component and the, there's a spiritual side to the movie as well, which there is in a lot of Shakespeare also, of course. Uh, but was that something that was baked into the premise from the off because of the, you know, and it's baked into those, those old tales, those old uh, Icelandic sagas as well and Norse sagas? Absolutely. There's a lot of mythology in the old sagas and, um, and you also blur, blur the line between the natural world and the supernatural. Uh, there's no clear distinction. Um, the Vikings didn't choose to believe in something. There was no such 
the concept of being agnostic or an atheist didn't exist. Um, and I, I, I find that quite fascinating how they, um, they believe that uh, Njord on the, on the neighboring farm on a full moon, he transformed into a wolf and ran out into the woods all night uh, and, and killed some sheep. And, and then the next morning he was a farmer again. And no one questioned that. That's the way it was. And that was as real as um, anything else that you could see in front of you. Uh, same thing with the relationship to the gods or um, the spirits. Uh, and we wanted to, to try to capture that in the film um, in a way where there are <clears throat> uh, components that, that, that to an audience today feel very um, uh, supernatural, but to Amleth and the other characters, um, in that, in the, at the time to them, it's, it's absolutely real. And it's, they don't raise an eyebrow. Nothing is strange about it. There's, um, being picked up by a Valkyrie or having to fight a seven foot giant is, um, of course you've heard those stories since you were a little baby. So that's what happens. Mm -hmm. That's what you got to do. Um, and, 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 and that was, very interesting to to to, to explore and and uh, and go deeper into the mythology of it. You are a producer in this as well, and I just want to talk real quick about protecting Rob's vision and protecting Rob's voice because this is a much bigger scale than the lighthouse and the witch, uh, and how and it's absolutely one hundred percent his singular vision. How do you, as producer? get studios to play ball with that and to get the, get the money men to play ball with that because, you know, films can be focus grouped beyond all recognition. And this clearly hasn't. I can't take credit for having those conversations with the studio while we were shooting. Because um, you were Amleth at that point and you were... <laughs> at that point, like, there was a lot in, in prep, a lot of conversations, but then once we started shooting, uh, Lars Knudsen and, 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 um, and the other producers did all the producing and I, I was crawling around in the mud. I, I want to say that um, it, 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 the fact that um, Regency and Focus um, gave shot the, 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 uh, Robert this, this opportunity um, means uh, is very important and means a lot because we're uh, living in an age where um, it's very it becomes quite polarized. You either have very small art house auteur uh, movies by auteur filmmakers or massive franchise blockbuster movies. Um, but to have a, a, a big budget movie by that is not um, uh, that it doesn't have a built in IP or it's not part of a franchise or based on um, uh, a comic book hero. Um, is 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 they're on they're uh, it's quite unusual mm. in for to do something on this scale on film by a filmmaker like Robert Eggers um, is it, it takes some guts. Uh, so I, I really want to give credit to Focus and, and Regency for um, for trusting Rob and 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 giving him uh, this platform and allowing him to create his vision because I think they felt um, like um, same I did. And I think most people when, when watching what Rob can do with very little money on the witch or the lighthouse, 
um, mm-hmm. it's exciting and, 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 and to think, well, what could he do uh, on a bigger budget if he had a massive canvas and he could just create a world um, and, and, and really go crazy and, and, and uh, go all the way and not be restrained by a, a limited budget. Um, so if you're going to do that and invest in it, you really have to let Robert and Jerry and his cinematographer go crazy uh, and, and, and really um, stay true to their vision. And uh, uh, again, I'm very grateful to, to focus in, in regions for doing that. It's a hell of a thing. Alexander Skarsgård, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Indeed. I really enjoyed this talk. Yeah, appreciate it. Man. Thank you. Take care. Okay, so that was Alexander Skarsgård, and now it is time to dig deep into the reviews section and tell you what's coming up in the multiplex and on your sofaplex this weekend. Jimbo, what have you seen? I have seen all of the films except not any of the films. Because in my defence, in my defence, I will say two things to you. One, I was on holiday on Monday and Tuesday this week, so I haven't been in. And oh, where'd two, you go? Anywhere nice? To my house. Okay. And two, two, we are reviewing five shows on this week's Pilot TV podcast. Five, one, two, three, four, five, 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 like, five shows. That kind of seems like not our problem. I yeah. know, but it's been, it's been an exhausting week. So Why? what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to leave you. I'm going to leave you to it. Why do you have to review five shows? It's, you just ask keep, gonna, keep it down to three. Yeah, Excellent who, question. Who, who, asked, who asked you to do review? Boyd, he bullies right, me. Okay. He bullies me into doing things. He is a bully. Uh, he is. He's a very bad man. So I'm going to go now. I'm going to let you talk about the, what are they called again? The, 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 the short films. TV shows. In films. One episode. Yep, yes, films. films. The films. You Perhaps talk about the films. next week. I don't know. I'm Why just going to throw this him? out there. I don't, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> just, I'm going to throw this out as a concept. <laughs> you can on, embrace it if you want. Me. You can, you can dismiss me. it if you want. Mm, yeah. Watch the fucking films. Yeah. I mean, look, I may not have seen The Northman, but I have seen every single episode of True Blood, so I feel I could have contributed right, okay. to it. No. Before you go, James, yeah. before you go, there are four films. I know it's not five TV shows, but we do try. <laughs> Uh, there are four films we're right. talking about this week. Yeah. I, I want your star ratings for them. And okay. just your quick, right, your quick right. one sentence uh, okay. appraisal sure. of these films. The Northman. Love Eric, four stars. Love Eric, four stars. Benedetta. 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 Has nuns doing naughty things in it. Five stars. Mm. It's the sequel to Nuns on the Run. It's the sequel to Nuns on the Run. Spectacles, testicles, yeah. wallet and watch. That's right. Uh, Sisters what else? Habit. Operation, Operation Mincemeat. Operation Mincemeat. Silly title, two stars. Okay, wow, and harsh. the fourth film is another film that the is Lost also about City. the Lost City. The Lost City. It's now been found. I'm saying three stars. I don't think we need to review these films. No, I think he's done. Actually, pretty accurate. I think he's pretty much nailed it. I'm glad. I'm I, think, glad I, think, I think. Yeah. Are we done? No. Oh, okay. No. Fuck off. All right. Enjoy. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Absolute worst. It really is going. Who was that guy? I have no idea, but... Um, We've got to stop him getting Joke's on him because I wasn't recording any of that. Have you and recorded have, any of the, No, none no. of it. And now we have to record the podcast properly. We start okay. here. Here we go. <laughs> All this past is prologue. All right. So we have four films to review. Yeah. Uh, where do you want to start? Lost City or Benedetta? Benedetta. Or Operation Mincemeat? The North Man. I mean, unusually, they're all interesting films about which there's <clears> things <throat> to say. So maybe we... I don't know. What do we do? Alphabetical. Alphabetical. Benedetta. Sure. Mm. All right. Yeah. Benedetta, the new film by Paul Verhoeven. The great arch provocateur is back. Uh, and this is a sequel to Robocop or uh, not a sequel to Robocop? No, prequel. More of a prequel, prequel to Robocop. Really, yeah. yes. But beautifully placed just in time for the Easter holidays. Mm. Yes. Um, which I, I feel like is probably, again, deliberate provocation. This is based on a, a, a historical book 
which is about a lesbian nun. That's literally the subtitle of the book. Um, so you, you know kind of what you're getting immediately. I wonder but, how loosely or tightly it's based on that book. I mean, I would guess fairly loosely, but at the same time, the, the basic, the big beats of the film, I think, are in the book, as I understand it. Um, Virginie Efira plays Benedetta, who is... Uh, put in a convent by her family and it and there is a scene of sort of the financial tra- transaction that that involved so basically mm. if you were a well-to-do family instead of having a dowry to pay to get your daughter married you could essentially pay it to the convent and there's a bit of almost horse trading with the mother f- superior uh sir F- felicita who's played by charlotte rampling because of course she is mm. um <laughs> in order to to get benedetta in but benedetta is genuinely devout and she has these the bonkers visions of Jesus as a sort of superhero, as a sort of literal white knight yeah. in shining armor, kind of riding up to save her in, uh, from you know, various bad guys and so on. And she is, so she does have faith, but she also is a very canny operator. And she also does some things that are perhaps not entirely compatible with church teachings vis-a-vis having sex. Having sex, yes, with um, uh, Bartolomea, who's played by Daphne Patakia. So you have this weird situation where you have this woman who um, is on one hand bonking her way through nunhood and on the other hand having all these visions, having stigmata, like setting herself up as a sort of heroine among the nuns. And it leads to um, lots of drama, essentially. I mean, And sex. Um, and sex. It, this is basically all the most embarrassing bits of Catholicism in one film. You've got the Inquisition, you've got kind of witch hunting, you've got... Um, this whole weird system of buying favors and buying your way out of of hell and um, the, the whole medieval church just an embarrassment to to anyone who considers them themselves Catholic now. Um, it will still piss people off because of course it will because that's Paul Verhoeven's whole point in life. Um, but it is wildly entertaining. I mean, I don't know if hmm. it's good, but it's extremely fun to watch. It's hard to tell. If it's good, it's, I mean, it's really, it's great filmmaking. I mean, it's really beautifully made mm. and it's funny and the, they are great in it. Those two actresses, yeah. they're bloody brilliant. There's a lot to enjoy in it. It's just, it just walks that strange tightrope of some Paul Verhoeven films where you're not quite sure where he's coming from. And also it's clearly uh non-sploitation. Oh, very much so. It is trashy and tawdry but it's quality quality trash does that make sense uh, it is it is i agree with you i just don't know if it makes sense well in terms of it's it's, it's great filmmaking and it's well written mm. and it's well performed but it's uh i it, it's just hard to tell where paul verhoeven's coming from at, at the best of times i remember um there was some conversation around starship troopers where some people were assuming that some of the acting and characterization was supposed to be satirical. Mm. And I think he said, no, 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 this is completely serious stuff. Um, it's just hard to tell sometimes with him um, where, where he stands on things and what he's going for. But it's, uh, it is a beautiful and entertaining piece of work. Mm. Four stars. Will people be standing outside cinemas with picket signs saying, careful now, down with this sort of thing? <laughs> I mean, they've got to be hoping that they will, because it would yeah. probably add quite a bit to the bottom line. There they are, well, they've probably, if they haven't seen it, they won't know that there are actually um, some extremely controversial moments in this mm. film, which you wouldn't want your parents to walk in on. No. 
Four stars then for Benedetta. Benedetta. I'm saying because like Sean Connolly in <laughs> Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, when he when he hears Alexandretta. No, I get you. So yeah. Benedetta. Just, yeah. they sounded like. It's a deep cut. In my head. <laughs> Most of my references are. Uh, and, and almost always exclusively to <laughs> Last Crusade references. Uh, anywho, so let's move on now to alphabetical order. Lost, uh, Northman, Lost City. Lost City, Lost City yeah. yeah. Um, this is... Uh, Really good fun. I'm not going to bury the lead here. Uh, it's directed by Adam and Aaron Nee. It stars Sandra Bullock. What were they called before that? It's not Nay. That's pronounced Nay. This is Nee. Just saying. I get you. Okay. Are they the knights who say Nee? Or? They might be. Yeah. Horses say Nay. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So. Uh, Real naysayer, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> you got it all out of your systems now? Or <laughs> it's hard to tell. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> So, Sandra Bullock plays Loretta, who is a romance novelist who has been uh, bereaved. She's lost her husband. Um, and she reluctantly, very reluctantly, goes on her book tour anyway with her cover model, Alan, played by Channing Tatum. Alan. Alan. His name is literally Alan. I wonder yes. if Alan in America has the same sort of connotations. It does, I think, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's not a Channing Tatum sort of a name, but that's deliberate. Um but her books are interestingly based on real archaeological research that she and her husband had done. And so a an eccentric billionaire who's played by Daniel Radcliffe kidnaps Loretta in order to try to force her to find this lost city for him um, before the island that it's on is basically destroyed or at least partly destroyed by a volcano that is threatening roughly the site where he thinks the lost city somewhere is. Right. Okay. So it's a ridiculous story. It's very romancing the stone. Very much so, because Alan, of course, goes off in, in pursuit of Loretta, hoping to prove himself worthy of being a cover model by saving her life. He has a little bit of a crush. It's very cute. And um, and we get into full-on romancing the stone territory with, again, a romance novelist lost in the jungle. Mm -hmm. The difference, of course, being that in that case, you know, Michael Douglas was tough and capable. And in this case... Channing Tatum is absolutely neither of those things. He's an idiot. He's an idiot. He's a delightful idiot, but he is an idiot. And, uh, you know, at one point, uh, you know, Brad Pitt comes in to try and help out and without spoiling anything. He isn't there for the whole film, but he is brilliant when he's there. This is really fun. It's very much check your brain at the door kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there are bits that are kind of improv and go on a bit and don't really get anywhere. But the, the sort of the easy chemistry of Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, the fact that both of them could do this stuff in their sleep just means it's, you just feel like, oh, this is lovely. It's like taking a warm bath. Is there a danger that they might actually be doing it in their sleep, though? Is there a danger of maybe being a bit smug and phoned in? No, I don't think so, genuinely. I okay. think they're, they're, they're sincere about it. It's just not effortful work for either of them. Okay. Yeah, it's really lovely. Um, Let's go to James and see what he thinks. James? <laughs> James? Great point, James. Three stars then for The Lost City. I'm really liking this new version of James. Mm, James 2.0. Yeah. It sounds more like a four star from your enthusiasm. I just, I just had a very nice time. It's something I haven't seen in a long time. A proper big budget rom-com with proper stars going to a place and doing stuff. Yeah, We mm -hmm. haven't seen that in ages. The mm. rom-com has been mostly on Netflix in the past few years and yeah. those are, you know with the best will in the world, sometimes quite cheap. Functional. And this one isn't. And it, mm. you know, it benefits from that. Also, right. she wears this fabulous pink jumpsuit the whole way through the film and I really want one. Just saying. Good, good, good. All right. Noted. Three slash four <laughs> stars then for The Lost City. Uh, I hope to be checking it out uh, this extended bank holiday when I'm not doing that to work. Uh, Sorry. Anyway, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not your fault. It's partially your fault. I know. Um, anyway, uh, next up, 
Operation No Northman. Northman. The Northman. Northman. Operation Northman. Operation Northman. Operation the Northman. <laughs> this is the story of a Nordic prince called Amleth. Uh, who's played by Stellan Skarsgård. No. Who's played by Alexander mm. Skarsgård. Mm. Trick question there. Um, who seeks, as we discussed earlier, he wants revenge for the Must. death of his father. I will avenge your father. He wants to save, save his mother. mother. I will and he wants kill to you kill if you're on there. Yeah. Yeah. So they are played respectively by Ethan Hawke, by mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. and by Klaus Bang. See, is that how you're pronouncing it? Probably not. Mm. I think it Klaus? is something. I've heard like someone that. say Klesh. Yeah, I don't Klesh know bang? if that's true. Klesh yeah. Bang. It, that is more fun to say, though. Let's go with Klesh Bang. Mm. Klesh Bang Wallop. Yeah. What a picture. That's uh, his full name, yeah. Along the way, basically, so he has to escape, first of all, as a boy when this all happens. He grows up to become Alexander Skarsgård, man of a thousand abs. Um, he <laughs> he does have a thousand packets. It's, it's, <laughs> he does have a thousand yeah. packets. Really, it's unhealthy. It's weird. Um, he crosses paths with Anya Taylor-Joy as a Slavic kind of witchy woman called Olga. And he ends up disguising himself as a slave in order to get back into his uncle's orbit and carry out his vengeance mm-hmm. mission. Um, this gets to very bloody places. Um, it gets It's often quite trippy, as you would expect of a Robert Edger- Eggers film. It is um, sometimes slow-moving, sometimes kind of languorously paced, and then we'll have these moments of kind of explosive violence. Mm. Uh a lot of blood. I mean, there are scenes in this that make 300 look like four weddings and a funeral. Um, and because they're just, just drowning in testosterone. The like this Viking is raid. There's so a so Viking y. There's a Viking raid quite early on. Some bits in the trailer where someone throws a spear at, at Amleth and he catches it and throws it back at them. And then you so he scales this wall. And the, a lot of the a lot of the scenes are just single camera. Mm. So you you know there's there's not a lot of editing in it. You just stay with the characters and you're in it. And Skarsgård is an absolute beast. Yeah. I mean, at, at one point after um when we first meet him after he's grown up, he's a berserker. He's just been taken in by this group of berserkers to go and rampage and pillage and smash the fuck out of people's faces. And uh, he is enormous. He can't even walk properly. He's so big in this film. And um. He yeah, this this raid is great. They 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 scale this wall and you just stay with him as he just hammers people yeah. to death and tramples on people and roars at people. <laughs> it's not a comedy. And howls at the moon at the end of it. And mm. you just really, really feel the mud and dirt and blood and yeah. pain like no other film I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty astonishing. It's the sort of movie uh <laughs> It, I think it costs something ninety million dollars, mm-hmm. and 70, it's sort of seventy, I believe. Seventy, yeah. okay. Um, all right, but in, in that ballpark, mm. so it's 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 a big budget movie, and as you heard a little bit in the discussion with uh, Alexander Skarsgård, you know, it's very much a Robert Eggers movie, um, even on this scale. Yeah, I don't yeah. detect the fingerprints of a studio going. There has to be a commercial bit now, and you know, d- d- he you know. said there has been. Okay, but they he agreed. He was happy with, yeah. because he's never worked on a film with this budget before. He did The Witch and The Lighthouse. They were quite, they were low budget, mm. little indies that he had complete creative control over. This one, because it was a lot of money and a studio mm. film, he spent a year in post-production and there were a lot of studio notes. And he has said to me, he had a hard time with it. He's not used to not having complete control. But he said it ended up in a more entertaining film. And he said he wanted to make a great 
the most entertaining mm. version of a Robert Eggers film. And he believes he did that. And he thinks working with the studio ushered that. Yes. Shepherded it into yeah. Okay, that's, that's interesting. Because, because the, the point I'm trying to make in a very cack-handed way is that this is the sort of movie that they say doesn't get made doesn't anymore. Get made anymore. Yeah. But here you have a studio uh, throwing 70 to $90 million mm-hmm. uh, at this very singular vision. Um, and... It's one of those films where I just feel it's going to... I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong about this, but I just don't feel it's going to connect with people. I it's very, it does. It's, I hope it does, it's brilliant. It's mm. absolutely brilliant. But it is so brutal and so bleak and so unrelenting that I don't see... I, you know, it's, it's comparison. There's a surface level comparison to Gladiator. It's a very surface level comparison you know, just in terms of they're both revenge stories writ mm. large uh, on, a, on an epic scale. But that movie was a huge, huge hit and was quite commercial. And I don't think this is commercial. I hope I'm wrong about that because, you know, if it doesn't do well, studios are going to be less inclined to give great big wads of cash to directors like this to go all in on their bold, singular, experimental visions. And then we're going to bemoan and decry the lack of movies like The Northman two or three years down the line. We're going to go, where are the films like The Northman? And it's because no one went to see it this yeah. time. And it's a strange comparison to make, but for example, Ambulance came out last week in the in the US box office and didn't do well. Yeah. And Ambulance is a terrific thriller. Michael Bay's best film in years. And whether people just got this inbuilt bias against Bay, which I think is an element of it, whether it wasn't well marketed, whether people are still disinclined to go back to the multiplexes unless it's something like a, a Spider-Man No Way Home or a Bond or a Sonic the Hedgehog 2 or something like that, and then then they'll go out in their in their droves for films like that. But for something smaller like an ambulance mm-hmm. or the or Alan Northman, they won't go out still. I'm not but sure. this I mean, this should be seen on the big screen. Like if you yeah. possibly can, this is That's definitely one, yeah, to make the effort for because not just because, as you say, I have, I think you're absolutely right. You know, this is the kind of film that cinema fans should support so we get more of this kind of film. Yeah. That's one reason to see it on the big screen. The other reason is it looks incredible. Yeah. They've they shot in Northern Ireland a bit, but also in Iceland. Mm-hmm. So the landscapes are off the charts. Um, but also just the way he shoots, you know, framing those people dead center, um, yeah. having those incredibly striking close-ups, having people... We haven't even mentioned Bjork's in it, just for a scene. She's mm-hmm. amazing... Uh, all of those faces are just worth seeing up close. And mm. y- yes, there is some violence, but and but if you can stomach that, you should definitely make the effort to see this. In but the also, as as it is a very unique Robert Eggers film. I mean, he's he was known for his first two films for mixing extreme historical accuracy mm. with supernatural elements, and he's yeah. doubled down on that here, and then doubled down again, and then doubled down again, and it's very much his vision and his voice. Yeah, it's yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, but. It is very accessible. It's a simple story. You're completely drawn in by it. There's nothing convoluted or impenetrable about it. I think mainstream audiences would really like it. And I think if you're going to watch what is obviously a brutal Viking film, then you should expect a very brutal Viking film. Mm. I think that'll put some people off. I, I, I really do. Um, and of course, you should never go see a film just because it then begets other films like this. Uh, you should go see a film because it's, it's amazing. Demands to be seen on the big screen, which luckily this one takes that box. Mm. I um, just, but I hope people do. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But it just it it, it felt to me. I saw uh, David Ehrlich, the the great critic David Ehrlich, the mm. other day going, "This is a uh, you know this is a ninety million dollars Robert Eggers movie," and yeah, and uh, I mean it. And every, you know, it, it, it basically is exactly what that sounds like. And 
that's great for people who like Robert Eggers and who love The Witch and who love The Lighthouse. But for people who are looking for something maybe a little bit more straight down the middle, I think they might be put off a, a little no, bit by I it. And I hope I'm wrong. But the, the, I mean, The Witch is a little straighter. The, the Lighthouse, I, I completely love The Lighthouse, but it is a very, very odd little, almost fetishistic, weird little film. Mm. This is not that. This is a big revenge mission. I mean, the bones of this are this uh, is what Shakespeare. You know, this is based on a 12th century. Danish tale about this, basically, it's the story of Hamlet, which is what Shakespeare then took and wrote Hamlet from. You know, it's a very classical, traditional story. And I think it will be open to a lot more people than The Witch and the Lighthouse were. And it feels very buzzy. It feels really buzzy. It's got five stars across the board, including from us. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope loads of people go and see it. Mm-hmm. I they definitely see it on a massive screen. The sound and yeah. the score, the score is pure evil in this film. And the sound design is just absolutely bludgeoning. I saw it the second time. Uh, with you, Helen, mm-hmm. on a very big screen with an incredible sounds um, system, and I felt assaulted by it, and, <laughs> and, and I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> there you go. Be assaulted this week by the Northman. Uh, we gave this one five stars. Five stars then for the Northman, uh, and that's wrap up with a nice little Sunday afternoon movie, uh, which is when I saw this film. Actually, mm. um, I had to see it on Sunday afternoon, which meant I missed the Manchester City-Liverpool game, and that was probably for the best. Um, not because we lost, because we do that very rarely these days, but just because it would have given me a heart attack. Anyway, uh, what what didn't give me a heart attack on Sunday afternoon was Operation Mincemeat, which is yeah. the aforementioned World War II movie about Operation Mincemeat. Yeah, it, this is based on the non-fiction, I think it was a bestseller, it was certainly a very successful mm. non-fiction book of the same name, um, which is worth a read because they have zhuzhed up and Hollywooded up a few things in this movie. It's quite faithful, but there are elements where they've definitely tried to make it a bit sexier. Not least in casting the people they've cast. Um, So they have uh, Colin Firth, uh, Matthew McFadden, Kelly MacDonald um, leading the team as this group in basically in a Whitehall basement, top secret little division during the war. They're, They're basically engaged in counterintelligence activities and they come up with this plan to fool the Germans. Basically, to anyone looking at the map of the war at this point, it is obvious that the Allies are going to try to attack Italy. That's Germany's kind of weak spot on the European continent. Mm -hmm. And the obvious place to start is Sicily. So the Allies are desperate to try and make the Germans in any way doubt this and in any way reduce the, the resources that they have devoted to protecting Sicily. And they come up with this plan to get a dead body to dress him up as an officer to hide supposedly secret files in his briefcase and convince the Germans that actually they're thinking of attacking Greece. And this is part of a multi-pronged you know, a- effort of misdirection which continued throughout the war. It was an amazing thing. They had like inflatable tanks and fake airfields and all this shit oh, wow. uh, to make them think they were going to attack Calais instead of Normandy. All this crazy stuff. But Operation Mincemeat specifically is a really interesting part of that whole campaign of deception. And this is about the minutiae and the detail of trying to figure out how to get it done. Um, so it's m- almost all people in rooms talking. Yes, because obviously this is pre-satellite, so they have no idea whether their plan is working. Mm. They send this corpse off into the into the ether, and they don't know for days, weeks, whether whether uh, Germany has taken the bait. And so it's basically they're, they're watching the, the, the teleprompter, waiting for it to burst into life to let them know whether it's working or not so whereas nowadays it just made me think about you know modern warfare which is obviously in a lot of people's minds right now but you know where everything is it's fought so instantaneously and the, and the you know the, the the news of success or failure is relayed instantly and these guys had to wait yeah in 
tight, claustrophobic, smoky rooms. Everyone's smoking in this Everyone's one. Everyone's smoking. Um, and, you know, I'm sure it takes some liberties with things, but there's some, I, I thought it was really fascinating. I knew nothing about Operation Mincemeat. Um, and I thought it was a really, really um, bold swing. And it's directed by John Madden, who's a man who knows his way around, a, you know, putting together a very watchable movie. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does here. Yeah. There's little little grace notes, little things I, you know, obviously I didn't know anything about it, but uh, I really didn't know that one of the people involved with it, and I wonder if they've maybe built up his involvement a, a little bit, was Ian Fleming, as in Lee Ian Fleming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's played by Johnny Flynn in this. Uh, so it's a cracking week, by the way, for films uh, starring Johnny Flynn and Simon Russell Beale after last week's The Outfit, which is, again, terrific. So if you haven't seen that still, go and check out The Outfit. Uh, so Johnny Flynn plays Ian Fleming in this. Can I just say, uncanny resemblance to Ian Fleming. Really? If you know what Ian Fleming looks like, mm. when he around yeah. the time that he you know, retired and went to went to Jamaica and started living yeah. in Goldeneye and started writing the Bond movies and then his, you can see that Johnny Flynn now in 20, 30 years will look a lot like Ian Fleming. You're if, saying he looks more like Ian Fleming than he looked like David Bowie? Yes, a lot more. But uh, for me, like Ian Fleming in the, in the, in the 50s and 60s, Holy shit, you're right. there's, there's very, very strong resemblance to Johnny Flynn. Yeah. Uh, so it's really, really spot on casting. Really uh, so casting. he's he's kind of the narrator of the piece, but also not really. He's actually not involved as much as uh, as you as you think he might be initially. But there are nice little moments where they're trying to like sneak in little Bond jokes. So he talks about M and he talks about Q Branch, and there's a there's a moment in Q Branch where you know you can see seeds maybe being planted. He talks about writing a spy story, and that's all very fun. Uh, and jovial when I say it's a, it's a lovely warm hug of a Sunday afternoon movie and in, in, in that it felt like the sort of movie they don't make anymore yeah. these these um, you know mm. these 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 movies detailing the, the war effort we've said that about the last three films we have yeah. said about yeah. the last three films and again I guess they do make all of these they films. do make <laughs> this is the thing we say people people don't go see these movies and won't make these movies and then people don't go see these movies and then they make the movies anyway so um, I, I don't know exactly how that works uh, tax breaks who knows but I had a good time with it. Good Me cast. Um, you know, there's there's a it's a very interesting relationship. I think they try and crowbar a love triangle aspect into the story, which doesn't quite work for me. Some of that's pretty faithful. Some of it okay. a bit less so. Okay. Okay. I, I'll, I'll read up on yeah. it. Um, it's, it's, it is. If you haven't read the book, I do recommend it. But, you know, the film is not a bad place to start to mm. figure out if this is the kind of thing you want to read. Indeed. Uh, so we gave this one three stars. This is uh, this is a none more three stars movie, mm. but um, but I had a very, very good time with it uh, in a fairly crowded cinema on yeah, a Sunday afternoon, good. which is lovely. So I recommend it. If you have a Sunday afternoon in your lives, uh, then take some time out and go and see Operation Mincemeat. And on that note, that is it, folks. That is it for this week's Empire Podcast. It has been a long and uh, at times arduous ride, but uh, we're here. We're at the end of it. We lost James. Um, Paul James. Yeah, we jettisoned him. Uh, We we, we threw him into the sea with some fake papers, (laughs) and we're hoping to see whether Total Film will take the bait. (laughs) Unlikely. It's like, my God, Empire put an Operation Mincebeat in the cover. We must retaliate. (laughs) Anyway... Anyway, uh, join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by Eddie Marsan. Eddie Marsan, uh, who I trailed as a guest two weeks ago, but actually um, isn't. And he's in two films. So he's in Choose or Die, which is on Netflix. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that in next week's show, perhaps. And he's in the upcoming Chris Pine actioner, The Contractor, which will be out, I think, on Prime 
or somewhere, somewhere, somewhere uh, in early May. So we're we're putting Eddie Marsan right in the middle. Obviously, one of our greatest character actors, lovely yes. guy. Uh, so he is the guest in next week's show. There may be another guest, but um, who knows? That is for me to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is time to say goodbye to my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Alex Godfrey. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> you can't say what's up to say goodbye, can you? No. You can. I mean, you can. That's, a, that's the beauty of what's up. It fits any social situation. I don't know. Weddings, birthdays, funerals. This might funerals. be where you've been going wrong over the years. Really? You don't say Hello to say goodbye at a wedding. Aloha. You go. Aloha. Yeah. Ciao. Is there anyone here who yeah, objects up. to this union? You from the back, you just go. What's up? I shouldn't <laughs> say what's up. That's how you know. Let's anyway. just say goodbye in the voice of um, Sean Connell, Prince Amleth in the North. <laughs> Prince Amleth. <laughs> Bye. Fucking wow. hell. That was terrifying. It's quite accurate though. Yeah, it was just fair. Yeah, fair. It's goodbye from. Our kid queen, Helen O'Hara. Happy Easter, everybody. Oh, yeah. Happy yeah. birthday, Jesus. Yeah. And no, no. It is goodbye, of course, from James Dyer. In fact, you know what, James? I've decided that this week, in the spirit of Empire Pilot Cooperation, an olive branch is extended. James, you take the show out. Have at it. Beautiful words. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.